is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latendry, and today we are discussing the 1982 classic from the Scorpions, Blackout. Mm-hmm. A controversial choice with some of our uh, listeners, apparently. I remember when you when we announced this on the last show, and half of the discussion about it on the Facebook group was people saying, like, really? That album? Yes. I mean, the thing about the Scorpions that's so interesting is... You can, for a band that started in the mid-60s, you can come at the Scorpions from four different decades, five different decades now. You know what I mean? I mean, it's been 50 years, for crying out loud. So I think depending on how old you are and depending what your first Scorpions album was, like your idea of who the Scorpions are is very, very different. And for me, um, I love pretty much every era of the scorpions but this th- there are reasons why this particular album like just it just resonates with me in a way that the other ones do not although because the other album that i could have chose for this that people would have not been happy about is uh savage amusement which uh was the first scorpions album that i bought on vinyl uh but that is much more sort of radio rock almost poppy in a way right and much less uh I think this album is a much more pure rock and roll and, and heavier album. But uh, but yeah, I mean, take your pick. I mean, m- my favorite live album of all time is uh, Worldwide Live from Scorpions. That and Wasps Live in the Raw are my two favorite um, live wow. albums. So so yeah, and, and a lot of my love for the Scorpions came from Worldwide Live, which is an album that I've listened to thousands of times. And so, so yeah, Blackout was, uh, it kind of goes back to our mantra for the show of like, what makes for great discussion? And I think Blackout makes for great discussion. Right, right. Uh, well, and I mean, talking about sort of, we've said this before, talking about bands that are long-lived and how, you know, we said that same thing about Metallica. They've been going so long now that according to when you got into them is probably what you're going to think of as classic Metallica. And that might sound very different to, you know, what they were doing 10 years previously and somebody else regards as their classic Metallica. Um, I think that happens with, you know, I was I was going to say the same with Maiden, but actually probably not <laughs> with Maiden. Maiden are a bit like Motorhead. They kind of stand the same now as they did in yeah, 1983. Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, they, they uh, yeah, well, and that brings up the fact that I just saw Maiden in concert, which was a, a really amazing show. But yeah, Maiden is one of those bands that you can kind of pick anywhere, although I feel like they've gotten a little more... Well, it's not to say, say they haven't haven't progressed because they have. Yeah, but I think can, they've gotten a little more out there with their more recent releases, like the the whole like concept album thing and and the whole right. really sort of uh, that's they've leaned heavier into that. Which not that it wasn't always a part of what they've done, but I think they've they sort of lean one way or the other um, yeah. to different elements of of their history. Well, um, and with Maiden, I wonder how much of that is a response to the fact that people aren't buying albums like they used to. You know, pe- albums do not sell in the numbers that they used to. And I wonder if that's, you know, if they're doubling down on, yeah, things like concept albums and stuff is a reaction to that to make people go, oh, okay, actually, I do need to buy this one because the whole album is of a piece. It's not just a collection of songs. I think it's also like the whole, uh, David Lynch Twin Peaks thing too, where, you know, you get to a certain point in your creative career where you have the ability to do whatever you want and you're not really sure how many albums or pictures or stories you sort of have left. And Mm. so you kind of stop caring as much about what people think about it (laughs) and you kind of get more into like, this is a, this is going to be the way that I want it to be and you receive it however you want, but I'm not going to. 
I'm no longer playing to a type or trying to compromise my vision to fit what I think the audience wants. I'm going to do the project that that makes me creatively happy and the audience can take it or leave it. Because with Maiden, like, you know, they played six. So I saw them in Mansfield uh, in July and they played six songs off the new album. And most of those songs are eight minutes long, 10 minutes long. Like they're long songs. Um, It gave me a greater appreciation for the Book of Souls album because I was not a huge fan of that when I first... I had a tough time getting into that album um, when I first started listening to it, but it it played great live. But with a band like Maiden, like they can play for three hours and leave half of their catalog completely oh, out yeah, of the mix. So and, much, like, yeah. it's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, and they also know that they only have to hit a few certain songs over the course of a set, and everybody will go home happy. Right, you've got to hit the classics. It's like Lemmy always used to say about you know, somebody once asked him, you know, aren't you sick of playing? ace of spades like as basically that because that was always their encore that was always the last track they played and people were right. like aren't you, aren't you sick of doing that and it was like maybe but it doesn't really matter what i think about it is not important if we don't play ace of spades there'll be a fucking riot you yes, know absolutely <laughs> because every concert is somebody's first concert and every concert is somebody's only concert with that band and so exactly, to, to yeah. be able to go and see and that's why like i love when bands play a full album. I've seen a couple. I saw Slayer play Seasons in the Abyss, the whole album. I, I'm pretty sure I saw Megadeth play Rust in Peace, the entire album and stuff like that. And that's cool when I go to see Slayer and Megadeth every time they come into town. But at the same time, if you're the only, if that's the only time you're seeing a band, you kind of want to hear other stuff as well. And so, yeah, oh, I, course, I appreciate yeah. that bands, that bands, um, you know, like Motorhead understood that and were like, so we're going to make sure that whatever set we play is going to include those things on the bucket list of songs yeah. that you want to hear from us but, when you when you go out live. Well, um uh, Lemmy was a massive Little Richard fan. Like he always he idolized Little Little Richard. Which you can totally and, see, right, in their oh, music. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah. he said uh, I just had to look it up because I'm I'm not a, as big a fan. I'm not that familiar with Little Richard music, but I, I just had to look it up and what he said was he made the equivalent of like if I went and say if I'd just paid twenty dollars to see Little Richard perform and he didn't play Tutti Fruity, yeah. I'd be you know, I'd be mad be as bullshit. fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, right. I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? I would be uh, the one writing. <laughs> yeah. So, so he understood that, you know, that's when you, when the, you have your heroes up on stage like that. And yes, if it may be the only time you see them, or maybe the only time in 10 years you've seen them or something, of course you want to hear certain songs. Um, Case in point. I mean, I saw Metallica for um, the first time in 25 years. I think wow. so. Yeah, the first time in 25 years. When I took my son to see Metallica back in May, that was the first time in 25 years that I'd seen them. I have no idea when I'm ever going to see them again. They were the most expensive tickets that I paid for in years, but I wanted to take him to see that show. And there were definitely songs that were not on their list that I wanted to hear. But like I got because they switch it up. One thing I like about Metallica is they actually switch up their um, set list on a regular basis. And mm-hmm. so the classics that they put into, and I think we got Motor Breath was the was the one wow. real classic that jumped out at me. But of course I want to always hear Creeping Death. And <clears throat> we didn't get that that time. And so um, you know, for me that was a tiny bit disappointing, but I appreciate that they that they mix it up each time. And uh and so yeah, but the thing that blew me away the most about the Iron Maiden show, um, because I had a string of three concerts in like seven days, was uh Maiden still sounds amazing. Bruce Dickinson never stops moving around the stage. He still sounds fantastic. I mean, I hadn't seen them in 12 years. And so I, I think it was 2005 at OzFest was the last time I saw them. And so 
you, I mean, 12 years later, are they still going to be that great? Are they still going to hold? Yep. Unbelievable. Right. I was going to say, would you, if you hadn't, show. if you hadn't somehow known that it had been 12 years, would you even have been able, uh, even able to tell? No, no. And, and I know that, you know, as singers get older and stuff like that, they sort of adjust their range and they, you know, they, they tailor the songs a little bit to fit their style, but you don't feel that when you're listening to Bruce Dickinson, he sounds like, he just sounds amazing. And yeah. he was very animated and very, um, you know, playful with the crowd and stuff like that. So that was just a great feeling show. But the thing that blew me away about that show was Ghost. Ghost now is oh, yeah. arguably one of my favorite bands for sure. Like, wow, I, I had been really getting into their discography and I just, I love their sound and holy crap, were they awesome live? Just the, the pageantry of it, the, just their presentation, the what their singer, um, Tobias was very much playing with the crowd as well. The whole nameless school thing, like just, and the songs that they chose to play were, they were all great. Like that, that show all around was just fantastic. I, I could not have had a better time. So, and I got to take my son to see Iron Maiden. So super psyched about that. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and then I saw Winger on the 22nd on that Saturday at Mohegan Sun and they blew me away. I hadn't seen them since 2002. So that was, uh, seven, 15 years that since the last time I saw them, they still sounded amazing. They absolutely uh, killed it. And then a few days later I was in Boston at a place I had never been before. There's an amphitheater right on the water that I saw Slayer and Lamb of God at and Slayer still is amazing and Lamb of God, that was the first time I ever saw them. So I got to see Chris Adler play with Lamb of God, his you know longtime band. And I also had a chance to see him play with Megadeth when he worked on the last album and was kind of doing some touring dates with them. So uh, he is an amazing drummer and super impressive live. So it was it was quite a whirlwind week, but. That whirlwind week was nothing compared to the whirlwind month that you have had, sir, because Atomic <laughs> Blonde is out in theaters, and I saw it last Sunday. I was absolutely blown away by the movie. I am so happy that that movie kicked so much ass, and that it, it, it I was just sitting there with a smile on my face the whole time, but your life has been just a crazy whirlwind for, I don't know, at least a month, right? Uh, getting on for it. Yeah. I was in, uh, we had the European premiere in Berlin uh, about three weeks ago. Um, and, uh, and then literally one week, seven days after that, we had the premiere in Los Angeles. Uh, and then I was in Los Angeles. I stayed in Los Angeles for a while to have meetings and what have you. And I got home like three days ago. And so, uh, incidentally, in case people hadn't realized, uh, you know, that's why this episode is a little bit late, even for us, you know, it's kind of a, a sort of delayed schedule, uh, compared to previous, uh, episodes in this season. Uh, you know, sorry about that, but I literally, I, there was nothing we, as we were scheduling it, I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, I'm going to be in LA, like right when we would normally record. Uh, that's just not, not going to happen. Uh, so sorry about that, but yes, it's been kind of amazing. Um, and I'm glad you enjoyed the movie and I hope anybody else listening out there did as well. Oh, we, I mean, people have been posting on Twitter and people have been, you know, that listen to the show have been talking about how much they enjoyed it and how much they want to go out and support the movie and how excited they are for you. And I I guess my question for you is like, you've had a chance to see it in a theater setting now with other people. What was that experience like when, 
people are freaking out over not just the amazing action scenes, but the whole vibe of that movie. Like it's it's just dripping with. 80s awesomeness it, it really is yeah uh yeah it, it was great i mean the it's kind of weird because by the time i actually saw it in a theater with paying customers uh that was like my sixth time seeing it or something really so, yeah yeah so by that point yeah because i saw like rough cuts you know while it was in production and stuff as well um so you know and then we had south by southwest and then berlin and then in los angeles and so by the time i actually finally got to see it at the art light in la with a paying audience yeah it was like my sixth time seeing it or something and so by that point i, I know the movie backwards anyway you know i'm not watching the movie so much anymore so instead i spent the whole time just like listening to reactions of people around me and waiting to see which bits they would react to and how they would react to them and stuff so it was kind of a weird <laughs> weird experience really but it was good i mean you know obviously people like it and people enjoyed it which is the main thing um what's really weird is and you'll you'll have had this i get this as a comic creator as well and you'll have had this i know uh from your novels where some of the bits that you like the most little you know sometimes little touches where you think oh that's nice oh that's a nice little bit of craft or something and people just don't react at all uh, and then conversely, bits where you're just kind of like, oh, you know, and then people go, ooh, and love them. And it's so, it shows the folly of trying to anticipate an audience too much, yep. I think. Uh, totally, man. And and like, I mean, that almost goes back to the to the David Lynch thing, right? Where it's like, yeah. you, you have to make it first and foremost for yourself. Exactly. And to me, like, I have never seen one of my characters come to life in the way that you have but no but people talk to you about having read your oh for books. sure and, and and i and like for me the characters and the uh setting are always so huge for me like i'm i'm a D kid as you know you are as well so world building is a big piece of it it's one of my favorite things of story writing so anytime someone reacts to a bit of the world that I've created, I get a lot out of that. And also, you know, just you spend so much time with these characters when you're writing them that to see them represented in a way that feels right to you is so rewarding. And then to have people react to that and say, man, I love that character. It's just like, it's the best. But I literally sat there in the theater with a smile on my face the entire time. Like every time (laughs) a perfect music cue came in, I was like, Oh my God, I love this movie. And it was just, it was great. And, you know, Charlize was amazing, but McAvoy was freaking incredible too. Everybody is amazing. Uh, everybody yeah. is yeah, amazing. In them. I mean, just so There great. isn't a bad it's, performance in the whole picture. It's uh, quite extraordinary. It felt to me like everybody had really dove into those roles and they were all having fun with the role that they were given. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they yeah, all yeah. just lived in it and it was really... It was great. Uh, I, I loved it. I'm, you know, my wife wants to see it, so I'm going to go back and see it with her again as well. Because I went by myself. I, I literally had like two hours um, last weekend, and I went to see the first matinee on Sunday morning just by myself. Went in, sat down, and took it all in. And there was a good amount of people in the theater, and people freaking loved it. And so I was just like Excellent. happy as a clam. Well, I hope your wife enjoys it as well. Um, so uh, uh, talking, you mentioned going to see Winger. Uh, so let's let's quickly address that. Uh, that was a, a 
Is that, well, is that your segue into our Facebook segment? For it is, yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that in itself shouldn't have been controversial, or at least shouldn't be to anybody listening to the show. Uh, well, right, yeah. But listeners who aren't in our Facebook group uh, obviously will have missed that uh, uh, Brian going to see, and I think, did you post, was it because you posted pictures? Yeah, it. so I, anybody who goes to the Facebook group knows that I like to, two things I like to do is I like to film the band coming on stage at shows, and I like to post that if I have a decent video of it, and I like to take pictures of the different bands because I, I want to, I always write up a blog post or something about the shows that I go to, so I had posted about exactly what we just talked about, which is that I went to see, you know, Maiden and Ghost, and then I saw Winger, and then I saw Slayer and Lamb of God, and that was, as you said, for anybody that knows me, like, that's that's right in my spectrum of bands that I would listen to. Yep. So I just kind of posted, here's where I've been the last week. And 99.9% of the people that responded were awesome as usual. And, you know, 0.1% were uh, not. <laughs> didn't, didn't feel that winger was deserving of being talked about on a page that focuses on metal. Right. Well, and specifically Shockingly. on a page called Thrash It Out, because right, right, right. Let, let's be clear, I, I'm pretty sure that the uh, the poster in question basically found the Facebook group without listening to the show. Because I would agree with you. I, I cannot imagine anybody, even from the very first episode, even if they've only heard one episode, I cannot imagine anybody not realizing that that's your thing, you know, uh, and not going, oh, yeah, well, of course, Brian will go and see Winger. That's, you know, that's his sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I suspect that this fellow did not uh, actually listen to the show and just stumbled upon the group. Um, and because, I mean, it's one of those things where, as we've said, the thing about Facebook groups is you can't make them public, bizarrely. Uh, you have to approve members. Um, so, uh, but, so we just approve, unless you're obviously a spammer, you know. So like right. some that's 19, really the only filter. Right, some 19-year-old, like, you know, model profile with precisely one photo, uh, you know, on the, who joined Facebook two days ago and has precisely one photo on their <laughs> timeline of themselves on a beach in a bikini or something, you know, that's probably spam. Apart from that, if you're clearly a genuine user, we're going to approve you. You know, we approve everyone who uh, applies to the group because you know, it's like I say, we do as much to make it an open group as we can. Uh, so I just approved this person without even batting an eyelid. And then suddenly, yeah, their first post is telling you that you're some kind of fake metaler or something like and you don't deserve to be in the group i mean anybody who could you could close your eyes and picture what the post was like right it was basically ha 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 and winger how can you post about winger on a metal page sort of thing to which you know oh and and the best part was he, he was like why are you even part of why this are group? you even in this group yeah which again um I got a kick up, but my response was my response to his questioning winger was like, um, because winger's awesome. Like that was literally my only response to him in that, uh, in that thread because winger's awesome. So that was it. But of course, you know, we have a very supportive community on the Facebook page. So people sort of jumped in and were like, do you must not listen to the show or whatever. Uh, and you had sort of given him the polite warning of, you know, everybody gets a second chance around here. Don't waste yours. And then, he had posted something he else, and then he <laughs> and then he disappeared. Um, and ev- right, and everybody thought that I'd booted everybody him. Everybody just thought you dropped the band hammer yeah, on him. Yeah, but I actually uh, didn't. I didn't because I was I posted that thing saying like you know look don't be don't be an ass. And then I was away from the group for a few hours, and in those few hours, the whole thing blew up. Everybody piled on him. Uh, yeah. He made one more post, and then he like I came back in, and everybody's like, oh, he's not here. Has he been banned? And I'm like, no, I, I've only just come back. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. You're like, what are you talking about? So uh, th- now the best part of that whole thread, by the way, was the fact that when people thought that you banned him, Lenny Reed had posted a video called uh, The Executioner's Tax from a band called Power Trip. And it was basically about, you know, swift punishment coming for uh, a transgression. And so the thing was, I listened to that track and it was freaking amazing. And now Power Trip, I have both of their uh, <laughs> studio albums. And I was like, oh, so I just got a new awesome band out of that. They're they're a thrash band out of Texas and they're freaking amazing. Like they remind me of Havoc. And so oh, wow, I right, was okay. like, oh, so that was a win-win for me because that I ended up with like a new band that I'm a fan of coming out of there. And I got to talk about Winger about five more times in that thread, which just, you know, feeds right into my so it was actually kind of your ideal thread, really. Yeah, it was my ideal thread because it, it, it basically ended me with me posting uh, links to winger videos and then a couple people being like, why did you make me watch that? I actually like it. And I was like, yep, that's all coming together now. It's all coming together. So it was great. And then, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it was a blip on the radar. I mean, the, th- the thing that stands out about that, obviously, is that that is such a rare occurrence right, on yes, our yes. Facebook group that it sticks out like a sore thumb when a discussion like that happens. But uh, to me, we'll never be able to completely avoid that. Um, But I think that the way that our community reacts to that is to first say like, Hey, that's not what we do here. And then if a person continues, it's pretty clear that that's not really the place for them. And to this person's credit, they ultimately decided that themselves. Right. Like, uh, you yeah. know, he he sort of went out with a bang, but took himself out of the group. So, you know, kudos to him for he could have stuck around until we banned him. He could have continued to, you know, pick fights with the people or anything. He didn't do that. So he, uh, the, the dude doesn't like Winger. I feel bad for him, but that's okay. You know, you don't have to. Not everybody has to love Winger. If you don't, you just probably haven't spent enough time with them yet. We'll get there. You know, we'll get the, the path to winger is a long and winding one. We'll all get there eventually. <laughs> it did. I, I, I might, I might take some issue with that, but, uh, well, but I, I, it, I appreciate the sentiment at least. I will tell you this. It solidified one thing for me. There will You're, either be an unjustly maligned or a thrash it out episode about, about winger. winger. You uh, can mark it down. Like that's happening. It's probably going to be unjustly maligned because, uh, I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, that's definitely happening. Like the, the for some reason I've become part of the winger defense force, so that's that's going to be uh that's going to be something that we talk about. But I mean, I'll have obviously uh Are they called wingmen? You know what? They are now. <laughs> <laughs> they are now. I'm the head of they, the uh yeah. yeah, wing commanders. Maybe we can get wing uh, commander. There you go. The kid from Scream <laughs> to play a part in this one. Um uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, Staying on the Facebook page, though, for uh, some feedback on our Pantera episode, which was the last episode that we did, um, tons of feedback about that. A lot of people liked that episode. Um, I'll just read a few of the comments here. Uh, I had mentioned during the episode that I thought that Fucking Hostile was a song that really kind of harkened back to their glam metal days a little bit. Um, and Daniel said, I, I disagree with you. To me, it sounds more like a... a a bit of a black flag song. And we kind of went back and forth about that. And I, the thing I like about Pantera, especially during that time of vulgar display of power is that whether you knew or not of their glam history, they were still heavily pulling from that. And I think their whole groove metal thing will always have elements of that. And so I think it's one of those things where it doesn't hit you over the head, but it's there. If you 
are sort of looking for it. And that's kind of what I like about that because that, that can be an album just for hardcore metal fans and thrash fans to enjoy. And it can also be a, an album for people who enjoyed their more hair metal stuff as well. And that's right, yeah. really one of the things that I dig about that. Um, Darren said, I started, I just started listening. He said, but hold the phone. Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Sabotage are maybe the two best Aussie-era Black Sabbath records. Anthony, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, actually, uh, in and we'll, we'll get to this uh, later, in the uh, Patreon listener choice album poll thing, uh, one of the comments was from um, Bruce Hall, who says he might be our oldest listener. Uh, because he says, my first concert was Van Halen opening for Black Sabbath on the Never Say Die tour, uh, which is, you know, quite some time ago now. Um, but he says, I, he said, I can't believe you rank Sabbath Bloody Sabbath so poorly. It's easily my favorite of the Aussie era. So now we have a schism in like the Black Sabbath fandom, clearly, because, which, it, yeah, I just don't rate those albums. It, th- that's a perfect... Um... I'm so glad that 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 is sort of something that we're talking about when we're talking about the Scorpions today, right? Because here's another band that has been around for 50 years, and you right, can right. you can have very clear lines of, yeah, this is their best era. No, this is their best era, and it usually goes by their guitar players, whether it's Uli John Roth or whether it's, um, you know, Michael Shanker. Uh, but there are lines drawn for people, and there's some there's some real um, strong opinions within the fandom, which obviously Sabbath. Is going to have that same, too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Andy Larson said, "Am I the first Thrasher ever to receive a game misconduct?" Now, if you remember, I believe his comment about <laughs> the bass line, uh, the bass uh, sound on the Ozzy album that we talked about was that it sounded like electric farts. I'm pretty sure that's a. Re- I might be wrong about the exact phrasing of that. Uh, which, of course, if you listen to that episode, you know that the bass was like my other than Randy Rhodes' guitar playing, like my favorite thing about that album. Um, so we had a good laugh about that. Uh, Kenneth White said halfway through and have to jump in to say how much I hate Pantera's shitty drum sound and the wave of nineties drummers it inspired. I will now return to drinking and leave Facebook alone. Just need to get that out of my system. So, uh, yes, let's see what yeah, else we Whereas have. I di- I disagree massively. I love Billy Paul's drum sound and I love that it, you know, much like how we've talked about this before when, um, uh, Dave Lombardi, uh, sort of ushered in a new era of playing style and of drum sound with the early Slayer stuff, you know, because that was uh, such a sort of breakthrough in production of how you can uh, engineer and record these blistering, fast, loud drums without making it a horrible, muddy mess. And so, you know, that kind of ushered in an era there for the 80s of how to do it. And then I feel like Vinnie Paul's drum sound kind of did usher in the the way of recording metal drums for the nineties and maybe even through to the early two thousands, uh, until we started getting heavily processed and triggered stuff and slipknot style and, you know, and, yeah. uh, Joey, what's his face. And so that ushered in a new era there, but I mean, for good or ill, fair enough, if you don't like it, but I think you have to give, you can't deny his massive influence. And personally, I like it. I think it's a great sound because it gives, an enormous amount of sort of power and loudness in the drums without, again, without muddying, it really emphasizes sort of crisp, clean playing. Uh, yeah. And I think you can hear that in a guy like Chris Adler, right. Who plays for Lamb of God, who clearly uh, they have been influenced as a band by Pantera. Yeah. It's undeniable. Um, 
But you're absolutely right. I think what, how much credit people will give him depends on whether they like that evolution that happened afterwards or not. Like Andy Larson said, I've tried, really tried to give this a chance, but listening to Anthony try to place this album in context made me realize something. Bands like Pantera, Tool, White Zombie, Infectious Grooves, etc. are kind of why I turned my back on metal for a while in the 90s. The groove metal thing just never hit for me, and the new metal thing was even worse. I spent the 90s chasing my loud music fix with bands like Quicksand, Alice in Chains, Helmet, Rollins Band, The Jesus Lizard, Girls Against Boys, The Melvins, etc. Sure, I was aware of Pantera, but I never listened to them. That said, this record has grown on me some, and the standout feature really is Daryl's guitar playing. He's really good. I get what Brian is saying about him sounding a bit like Randy Rhodes, but I think I hear a lot of Dave Murray in there as well, especially in how effortless some of Daryl's solos come off. So certainly a mixed bag for me, but Daryl makes it this a worthwhile selection. I could go along with that, actually, yeah. I mean, Dave Murray isn't an obvious sort of influence that you'd pull out necessarily, but yeah, that kind of, because he does have that effortless glissando style of playing that Dave Murray, yeah, does, you know, Dave Murray like, looks like he never breaks a sweat when he's like dancing around all over the fretboard and he just, yeah, because he's been doing it for so long and he's so good, he just makes it look so easy. So I can, yeah, I can kind of see that. Uh, Tony Tammy said, great episode. I'm so glad that you guys like this album almost as much as I do. Out of all the episodes so far, this is one of the only ones about an album that I truly love, so I was a bit worried. Yeah, I think everybody goes through that at some point yeah. in time, right? Uh, we we go through that every episode. Every yeah. other episode, yeah. one of us goes through uh, that. Now you know how we like, feel, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tony Unsworth said, okay, my thoughts for what they're worth. Firstly, another great episode in which there seemed to be an extra level of enthusiasm from Anthony Johnston in particular. It's obvious that both of you really love this album. I gave it a few spins, having stepped away from metal around the time this album came out, and basically came to a fairly simple conclusion. Great music, shame about the singer. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, and, well said, and there again, talking about influence, you know, as we said on the show, Anselmo pretty much laid the template for 1990s metal vocalists from that point onwards. Uh, Scott Parker Hall, of course, admonished us for saying that Pantera was the biggest metal band in the early 90s. Of course, we did not pay homage to Metallica, uh, clearly enough, in that episode. So there is a 28-reply thread about that, where we come to the conclusion that, yes, Metallica is always the most popular band of all time. We should just start there. Yeah. Everything else, that's the asterisk that's on every discussion. Is yeah. Yes, Metallica sells a billion records. Yes, they are the most popular band ever. Um... Daniel said, I kind of want to touch base on the wrestling comment about Pantera. I like the whole, which is, I kind of talked about their image, right? And just how a lot of um, uh, heavy metal imagery, and not just heavy metal, it, it's basically professional wrestling. You know, these are these are caricatures. These are images sure. that the band is crafting, that they're, that they're sort of putting out there. He said, like the whole burying their glam history, it's like when stars from the indie scene get picked up by the WWE, and WWE says that, that the previous career, that they've only been in the WWE. He said, and Cowboys from Hell is Pantera's heel turn, and they got really over with vulgar display of power. So if you're a wrestling fan, then you just got a few, uh, a few oh, wrestling fans I have there. no idea what those words mean, uh, but it's I assume basically they're like wrestling when they terms. turn bad guy, when the, when the storyline pushes them, uh, you know, as the big thing at that time and stuff like that. Uh, let's see. Dijon said, another great episode. I've never been a big Pantera fan, but I love this record. I like this record, and I'll spend more time with it. Uh, Don said, I love Pantera, but in all honesty, with maybe two exceptions, I could be happy just having the 2003 best of CD, which I think is interesting because I don't listen to a lot of best ofs as my preferred listening for a particular band, but Pantera is one of the bands that I have their best of CD. And that is 
what I will tend to gravitate to with them. Um, oh, and they're one of the few bands that I do that with. I'm not really a greatest hits guy, although I do have the Scorpions greatest hits as well. Um, I, I tend to do that only with bands where I'm not a massive fan. Like if it's a band that I am a huge fan of, I, you know, I don't even own best ofs because I would rather just listen to the album. But for example, you know, I don't know, completely not metal, but let's say ABBA, you know, who I love ABBA, but I'm not so much of a fan that I am going to actually sit through, you know, a dozen albums, uh, sure. just waiting for Dancing Queen to come on or something. Do you know what I mean? So God, that's, that's a case a where song. we should do an episode of Thrash It Out about ABBA. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. Them and Cool but, in the Gang, we could do an episode that's, about That's an, uh, an instance where, yeah, I do have, you know, I don't actually own any original albums. I just have the best ofs because, you know, that's a band where I do just want to hear the hits. I'm not bothered sure. about the album stuff. But if it's, uh, you know, and especially with metal stuff, if it's a band that I'm really into, then. I don't even own Best Ofs. I don't even buy them because I'm like, I already have all these tracks and I'm quite happy listening to all the albums. Right. Um, so Phil Toretto, who is uh, like me in a big 80s fan, uh, not surprisingly <laughs> liked their hair metal stuff better. He said uh, he wrote a very long post about, you know, not really having a ton of familiarity with them um, and really digging into the homework. And he basically ended, say, he said, so I end by saying, I don't hate vulgar display of power. I really like Cowboys from Hell, and I freaking love power metal. So, to and I, I think I said during the show, like in my mind, like that's the trilogy of albums that I think of with them is yeah. power metal to Cowboys to uh, Vulgar Display of Power. So, uh, and he said, now it'll be nice not to have to do any homework for the next episode of Scorpions Blackout. Spend months on my turntable in 1982, 83. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Darren said, I'm, I think I'm the resident Texan here, and even though I'm on the West Coast now. Uh, coming up in the 90s in the Dallas area, Pantera was huge. I was never a huge fan at the time, but had only a passing familiarity with their hits until the 2000s, and I got more into their actual discography. Cowboys from Hell is the album that I go back to most, and Vulgar is definitely has a solid front end. The back half drags for me. Um, he said, two things definitely taint the band for me now. Number one is the fan base. As a teenager in North Texas in the late 90s and early aughts uh, that liked sci-fi, comics, and punk, that didn't always go so well with Pantera fans. And he said, number two, as anyone can guess, uh, is Phil's behavior. To paraphrase Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die, I lost a lot of childhood heroes in the music world during 2016, Phil Anselmo included. So, um, and I think that is indicative of a lot of people's feelings about sort of uh, that that struggle of going back to that music now and listening to it without having that in the forefront of your mind the entire time. Uh, yeah, it is tough. And, uh, we talked about that, uh, a bit on the episode. Um, and yeah, it's just, as you say, it's tough, uh, to reconcile those things. And I really, yeah, I think most of us just wish that it wasn't that way, unfortunately, because it really does sort of, you know, I don't listen to, I, I, I'm not, I won't say that I never listen to Pantera anymore. Because, uh, yep. you know, that wouldn't be true. But I genuinely don't listen to it as much as I used to since the last couple of years and since all that stuff about Phil came out. I'm just, you know, it really does taint the experience. It's such a shame. Yeah, it really is. Uh, on to happier times. Darren Gleaton posted, posted a picture of the Scorpions Blackout album that he has on vinyl, which made my heart happy. <laughs> uh, let's see what else we have. Uh, Greg Anderson said, glad the Scorps had been picked for the next episode. Though slightly disappointed in Brian's chosen blackout, for me this was the start of the band going soft after the hard-rocking peaks of Love Drive and Animal Magnetism. 
So no, that's interesting. We can, l- we can like we said, yeah, it's a slightly controversial choice, you know, and that sort of, as you said, yeah. that schism in when people regard uh, the Scorpions as having had a golden age. Right. Uh, Andrew Salmon said, never mind the Megadeth drinking game, Brian, my Queensryche bingo card is gathering dust here. So I will try to, uh, <laughs> we'll try to get back to that. Uh, let's see. Uh, man, there's a lot of good posts in this. Yeah, yeah, no, right? People it, should go back and check that out. If you, yeah, uh, we, we don't have time to, you know, go through all of it really, but yeah, uh, as always, you can find the group at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. And, uh, yeah, you know, the, the occasional 0.1% of, uh, you know, angry posters aside, uh, it is, as we've said before, it is a very, very broad, welcoming, good natured community. Uh, you know, very open-minded where, yeah, the conversation really does wane, range, range, range from winger. There you go. <laughs> yep. Wanges from winger, uh, right the way through to, yeah, you know, like weird underground UK drone metal bands or Slayer or, you know, just all over the shop, uh, which is how we love it, obviously. And my favorite thing about it, again, you know, as I joked about with that particular thread is that there is at least once a week where I am either introduced to a band that I didn't know before or kind of reminded to go spend some more time with a band that I might be peripherally aware of, but haven't really dug into. So if you are looking for a place to pick up like new music all the time, or even old music that you might've glossed over, like that, that Facebook group is just an absolute goldmine, like power trip. You might hear about them on the show sometime because I'm super impressed by that band. Yeah. Well, and hit right. Okay. So here's one of the things, and this is kind of relevant to Scorpions as well. Here's one of the things that I love about that community uh, and about the community, you know, just around the show in general is that there's no shaming uh, when somebody might not be familiar with what others would regard as a classic or essential band. Or, yes, or like a no brainer, right? Right. Yeah. Right, you know, somebody says, "Oh, actually, I'm not that familiar with, I don't know, you know, Pantera or something." Nobody or Black sticks Sabbath. In, right, nobody steps in and goes, "Ha ha." Uh, you know, everybody right. just says, "Really? Well then, have a load of this." Uh, right, everybody and, like yeah. r- is like falling over Q each other to give recommendation out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, "Oh, please check this out," or "Oh, you'll like this," or "Oh, what I even to to build on that, what I love now is that the group is starting to know each other's musical tastes." Yes. So, they're like Oh, based on the stuff that you've talked about here before, this is the album of theirs that I would recommend because it plays more to what you like about that kind of stuff. And so yep. like it's it's this um it's this sort of friendly curation that is happening that really does uh it's great. It, it's yeah, absolutely great. It is great. And it's as I say, there's an enthusiasm to help people get into other bands that uh, you know, sometimes frankly is not present in the metal community, you know, because it is because of the nature of it being a community of outsiders and people who might feel like they're loners and, you know, just kind of misanthropic, uh, you know, all of which is absolutely part of the scene. You know, we all went through that phase in our teenage years, I'm sure. Uh, well, and, and like the reason that I love, uh, the reason I love doing the show, but also the reason that I love talking about bands like the Scorpions or, or even a band like Winger, um, or the stuff that we talked about with Pantera in their sort of early glam metal, uh, glam metal days, is that it, people come into music at different times in their lives, and they end up at different places on the spectrum. But my whole thing is like, everything has come from somewhere. And the more that you can understand about the history of the bands that you like today, and what their influences were, and where their particular sound evolved from, like, 
then you can start to appreciate more the bands that came before them. You know, it's yes. very easy yeah, to absolutely. look at a band like ACDC and say, well, they play three chords and every song sounds the same and it's all the same template. And it's like, then you haven't listened to enough ACDC because when you start to really understand the foundation that they laid down and how it's affected countless generations of bands afterwards, you'll have a deeper appreciation for ACDC. So it's not that, you know, you're going to love every band that we talk about on the show, but with some of these old bands that we bring on, it's really about like understanding like where they fit in the history of metal and also why you should try to at least have a passing familiarity with them. And so, and hopefully you come out of the show appreciating some bands that you never gave a second thought to, you know, like the twisted sister episode is one of my favorite episodes that we ever did because that was a classic band that most people know two songs from. Right. And, and then, then I didn't even know two. Right. You know, again, because like those these... are their big stateside singles. And then, you know, you look at their stuff and you realize that, oh, like I've been listening to, um, uh, you can't stop rock and roll from Twisted Sister quite a bit lately. And man, that is a kick ass heavy album that a lot of people weren't even familiar with because it came before Stay Hungry. Like, right, and Stay right. Hungry is the beginning of that band, much like for Pantera, Cowboys from Hell is the beginning of that band for them. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of what. When I bring a band to the show or you bring a band to the show, it's about like, hopefully this discussion will spark somebody going to spend a little bit more time with this band's music. Yeah. Well, and just going on to getting back to the influences thing, it's a bit like, and I've mentioned this before, when uh, grunge, you know, like really struck big, loads of the grunge bands were name checking, you know, older bands like uh, Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple even, you know, and those sorts of like 60s, 70s, hard rock, proto metal bands uh, for the same reason, because, you know, it was like, if you are familiar with Led Zeppelin's classic albums, you will understand where a lot of early 90s grunge was coming from. You know, you will get it. Uh, and not to say that they're not good, there weren't good records or anything, even if you haven't heard Zeppelin, but you'll get a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation of what those guys were doing with that sound in modernizing it and bringing it up to date. If you are already familiar with the classic sort of hard rock stuff, the fuzzy hard rock stuff from the 60s and 70s. Absolutely. And, you know, my philosophy about that stuff is like, it's, it's fine to love more one particular genre than another or one particular band than another. But uh, to me, I always uh, struggle to understand the idea of like swearing off a particular section of music or, or, you know, not giving a particular type of music the time of day, because there's even within those genres, there is something you will like in there if you spend some time with it. Right. Okay, so let's uh, just quickly run through. Uh, we haven't done follow-up from last episode yet. I've just realized we did Facebook comments, but uh, I missed. So first of all, I'll mention, I'm sure most people listening already know, but if you don't, uh, we are supported by Patreon. Um, you know, we don't have advertisers or sponsors or anything on the show. We're supported directly by you, our listeners. So if you want to help support us, you can go to patreon.com slash thrash it out to pledge. Uh, you know, all we ask for is a dollar per episode more if you can afford it, but all we ask for is a dollar per episode. And uh, hopefully, you know, we give you your money's worth of entertainment each episode for that. Um, we have three new patrons since the last episode and they are Tony Earnsworth, Frederick Liliabad, uh, Liliablad. Sorry. I'm sorry, Frederick. I think I may have mispronounced that, but welcome anyway. And, uh, Chris Calloway. So thank you all guys. Uh, thank and you very I mentioned, much. mentioned the Patreon now because I also want to, uh, remind listeners that, at the end of this episode, we will do the random selection from the listener poll for the uh, listener album choice episode, which will be the next episode that we record. 
I'm very uh, excited about that. So am I. So am I. Because we had, I think, 32 nominations. Isn't that uh, crazy? And only one duplicate. So 31 separate albums nominated this time around. It is what? nuts, yeah. And the last time, would you say it was probably like 15 to 20? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it feels like it was a lot more this time. And that's partly because last time we had like seven people all nominate the same album. Right, <laughs> which exactly. Which we didn't yeah, last, Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, we'll do that at the end of the show. Looking forward to that. Um, and one other thing I wanted to, uh, mention that I forgot to mention, it was in my notes for last episode. And then I just plain forgot to mention it was, uh, we talked a little, I think, or I meant to anyway, talking about, uh, band names and the sort of inherent ridiculousness of some of them. Uh-huh. Uh, Pantera being a perfect example, because I mean, you know, apart from the fact that it's a brand of car, <laughs> for heaven's sake, even taking that aside, just sort of taking the the connotations of like, you know, uh, some kind of weird metal version of a panther or something. Yeah, it yeah. is kind of absurd, especially for the band, you know, that they became uh, when they evolved away from their glam roots is just kind of bizarre. But then the example I always use for that is Metallica. Metallica is a ridiculous band name. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, it's just, it's silly. <laughs> it's, uh, but the thing is, and another good example of this for people who aren't into music, the example I always use is the Wii, you know, the, the, the Nintendo Wii. The point is that repetition and familiarity basically sort of renders them meaningless right. to, in our minds. And so they become not silly because you hear Correct. the word Metallica so often you forget, you, you stop thinking about it as an actual word. And so you just think of it as it's this thing. It me it is a word for this thing. And stop thinking about how the name actually came about. Um, because yeah, I've come across that with people who aren't uh, metal fans or you know people I was introducing stuff to in the nineties. And the name Pantera would really put some people off. They'd be like, really? That's like what? What kind of a name is that? Um, or Def Leppard. Well, Def Leppard's another classic. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's like. It, and they are kind of absurd. You have to realize that they are a bit absurd. But yeah, it's this, as I say, the more you repeat it, the more you hear it, the more you see it, uh, you know, the more familiar it becomes, the less you think about it as an actual word. And I just find that a really interesting phenomenon, especially when you come across a new band that ha- might have a slightly bizarre name. Uh, and, you you know, you sort of think, well, that's a bit strange. But then you have to kind of, it helps if you can remember that and get yourself over it and think, oh, okay. Yeah, if people, you know, in five years' time, nobody's going to think of that as an unusual or weird name. Right. Um, anyway, so that was just something I wanted to say last episode and completely forgot. Uh, so, uh, Scorpions, however, perfectly fine metal name. Oh, uh, was fantastic you know. name. What, what better <laughs> name? The only thing is, like, the, the band's name is Scorpions, but they will f- be forever thought of as The Scorpions. You can't... It, it, oh, like, is it a case you know like I mean? like Buzzcocks? Right, right. Yeah, it's like it, it, like even the top of the show, like the 1982 classic from The Scorpions, but it's really right. just Scorpions. Ah. Um, but it's hard to not throw that the in front of them. So I'll just apologize for that right up front. But uh, but yeah, a band that you know started in the 60s and is still doing their final tour right the band that never retires like they were the never-ending final tour yeah <laughs> yeah well they did that and then they kind of just came back after that i'm pretty sure but um i think every but, band who's been around that long has done that they've, they've all done their final tour and then five years later they go well maybe we'll do another one 
Yeah, well, actually, there was a thread on the uh, the Facebook page which David and uh, David and I were having some fun about uh, why Megadeth is playing with the Scorpions. And I said it's really easy. You have you know Megadeth wrote a song called the Scorpion, so there's that parallel. Um, they both have awesome band names and logos, so there's that parallel. Uh, the Scorpions did a song called Arizona, which we'll talk about today. And Megadeth had the first uh, band website on the internet with Megadeth Arizona, and so it's all very makes perfect sense why they would tour together. <laughs> connecting very the dots meta. right there. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the, the band started in '65. Uh, Rudolf Schenker was the uh, founding member of the band, and of course, over the course of their history, you had Uli John Roth who was uh, playing guitar in the group. You had Michael Schenker who was playing guitar in the group, and then the guitar player that we are going to talk about today is uh, Matthias Yabs, who joined them in, I believe, 1978. Uh, his first album was Love Drive and then Animal Magnetism. And then, of course, his third album with them was Blackout, which we're going to talk about today. So they're a band, again, that I feel like, depending on when you came in or who your favorite guitar player is, you may have a, a particular version of the Scorpions that you like better than others. Um, yeah, this is a band that I, I mean, to nobody's surprise, you know, I'm not overly familiar with Scorpions. Uh, and they, I, I knew them mostly as a band that the sort of people who listened to Saxon would have on the back of their denim jackets. Uh, and, and that's terrible. That's horribly prejudiced. I know, but that's basically, you know, it's like, oh, I know that guy. He listens to Saxon. He's got a Scorpions patch on the back of his jacket. That makes sense. And so I, I just never, you know, it was talk not my about kind of an thing. unjustly maligned band. <laughs> however, however, I also didn't realize, and this is because of my lack of knowledge of them. I didn't realize that Michael Schenker wasn't like a permanent fixture in the band. Um, well, especially no since a, his brother Rudy is the one that he, his right. name is forever associated with the band, right? Absolutely right. But I didn't realize that Michael Schenker has only was only in Scorpions for what, like maybe two albums or something. Uh yes, I believe so. I pulled their history here. Uh, it was he with them went at the to, start. Then he went to after UFO. the Lonesome Crow tour. He left to go play lead guitar for UFO. Right, and th- but then he came back, I think, for like one album, and then buggered off again. Yes. Right, and they do not have my understanding of uh, them nowadays. They do not have a good relationship. Oh, really? Uh, oh, that's he a and shame. his brother, and and him and the Scorpions in general. Um, which again, for me, like I I came into the Scorpions well after that. So for me, Matthias Yabs is the only guitar player, a lead guitar player. Obviously, Rudolf Schenker has been there forever, but as far as lead, like he's always been the lead guitar player for me. That wasn't even something that I thought about. But when I talk to like my buddy Matt, who I co-host Secret Identity with, he is much more a fan of Uli John Roth and uh, Michael Shanker because you know their their solo stuff and and the other groups that they were in are huge influences for him. Whereas for me, uh, that that wasn't even really something that was on my radar. Right, right. So yeah, I mean, again, it's bringing it back to Metallica. It's like somebody who gets into Metallica around the Black Album. And he's right. just like, you know, well, uh, Kirk and Jason have always been, you know, like the, the guitarists in the band, haven't they? <laughs> or even like, you know, Rob Trujillo now, right? Like, right, that, right. that's your bass player for Metallica. Like, what would who... Right, and Rob's been in the band longer who, than Jason was, but I think by now, hasn't he? Yeah. I'm you know, pretty sure he was in the band a lot longer than Cliff Burton was, right? Indeed, so it, right. It, it, right, but, it, but you, you know, you get stuck on... With good reason. I mean, like, obviously, for, you know, we talk about uh, Megadeth, and you can take a drink now. Um Gar Samuelson, right? My one of my favorite drummers of all time was with them for a couple of albums, you know, and then um, and he's since passed away. But 
there are always favorite members of a band that you sort of glom onto for whatever reason. And that tends to inform what your favorite albums are from that band. Right. And talking about the, uh, sort of, you know, the, the, the spinal tap, like, uh, you know, rotating band members around Rudy Schenker. Um, I just saw that, uh, Mickey D now that motorhead obviously is no more Mickey D is oh. now drumming with scorpions. <laughs> yes. Yep. Absolutely. And of course, for, for years and years and years, it was Herman Rarebell. So, the, so your lineup for this album is Klaus Mein, uh, Matthias Yabs, Rudolf Schenker, uh, Francis Buckholtz on bass, and then Herman Rarebell on drums. Um, that is c- kind of the classic Scorpions lineup during their highest-selling years. Whether that's your favorite lineup or not, that's sort of the, the right. 80s. You so know, is, that, is that also the Rocky Like a Hurricane wins a change lineup as well? Uh, yes. Right. Yes, it is. So, um, to, so to many people, that is going to be the Scorpions lineup, isn't well, it? Right, because that was their biggest hits, and that's where they were on MTV all the time, and that's where, um, you know, again, they're all on the cover of Worldwide Live, and uh, yeah. and so, yeah, they they become, you know, that. But I've always felt like, and I'll talk about it probably a lot during this album, I've always felt like uh, Matthias Yabs has been not overlooked, but is not given the reverence that he deserves as a lead guitar player because right. he is freaking incredible. And of course, when you're in a band with, that has also had Uli John Roth and has also had Michael Schenker in it, it's you can see how some people might not have Matthias in that same conversation. Sure, yeah. But, but you think they should? I think they absolutely should. Like this is So uh, is Rudy Schenker a rhythm guitarist then? Yes, mostly. Ah, um, see, that's plays, something else that I didn't realize. Uh, he put, and he's a fantastic rhythm guitar. Like to to him, you know, when I think of Dave Mustaine, I think of him as one of the greatest rhythm guitar players of all time. He's a great lead guitar player too, but he always has had someone in his band, uh, and that's your second Megadeth reference for this episode. He has always had somebody in his band that was either challenging him or or better than him as sort of lead guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think for Scorpions, you know, there's always been someone who you could make the argument was a more technical guitar player, a better guitar player, but, uh, but Rudy has a couple of solos on this album that I think are very interesting. He just has a very different playing style than, than Matthias. And, uh, and he's a fantastic rhythm. Their rhythm, the Scorpions to me, their rhythm is one of the things that makes them so great. Right. Um, okay. Well, that's a, a nice segue for me to mention that one of the things I felt listening to this album was it's, to me anyway, feels quite clear how much of an influence they, they were and that this era of them was on Halloween. Oh, Which, for sure. I mean, you know, and it, they're quite different sounds, but there are touches in this album where I'm like, oh, oh yeah, okay. You know, I can tell that Kai Hansen, uh, you know, just grew up listening to this sort of stuff. And I mean, obviously this this album in particular only predates Halloween themselves by a few years, but knowing that the Scorpions have been around for so long, uh, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, this band was clearly an influence on Halloween. And that came to mind as well, because talking about having sort of like dual attack guitarists, as it were, double double threat guitarists, that's another case where the classic Halloween lineup of um, Kai Hansen, um, Mike Vikath, they are both great rhythm players and they're both great lead players, but... Uh, you know, when the chips are down, uh, you know, Vikath is your rhythm player and Kai Hansen is your lead player. If you've got to pick one of them to only do one job, that's what you're going to go with. So it feels like that's the same with Scorpions. And I don't uh, necessarily saying that that was an influence on Halloween as well. But sure. But yeah, that's, it just that's, reminded that's, me. 
In general, yes. Uh, Matthias is going to play uh, most of your solos and is uh, playing lead on most tracks. And then uh, Rudy is mostly rhythm, but takes lead on some tracks. Right, right. And and yeah, I mean, much like in Slayer, you know, uh, where they sort of trade solos and rhythm. But sure. again, you know, if you're going to pick one of them, you're going to pick... Um, well, I was going to say Jeff Hanneman, of course, you know, sadly passed away now. But, you you know, if you're going to pick one, you're going to pick him as the lead and Kerry King as the rhythm player. Yes. Uh, yep. But they are both equally capable of doing both. So It's funny you mention that because when I just saw Slayer recently, I was impressed at Kerry's lead playing. Like, I've oh, really? never been super blown away by the solos in Slayer songs to begin with. But um, maybe because, like, and they had, you know, the camera focused on them sometimes and they had the big monitors and everything like that. But I was like, huh. Maybe I need to revisit Slayer's. Maybe I need to take another look at his lead guitar playing because I, I, you know, much like you just talked about, my thought has always been that it's the other guy in Slayer that's the lead guitar player, and Carrie is the rhythm guitar player. Um, but some of his solos, when I saw them played live, were more impressive to me. Hmm, interesting. Well, and it may just be you know because they've been around for so long, been going thirty years, thirty odd years. Maybe he's just sort of developed into a better solo player. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's yeah. part of it too. And I and I think he, you know, has become the creative force behind the band for better or for worse now. And so his his playing is um, more under the spotlight too than probably right. it ever was, especially with the newer stuff that they wrote. Yeah, that's um, a fair point. Uh, talking about Slayer, we mentioned I mentioned earlier talking about the Dave Lombardi's sort of drum sound and how it influenced people. One of the things I, I really uh, sort of positive things I have to say about this album is that the production is excellent. Oh my like, god! For 1982, this yes. is astoundingly clean, but with uh, a good solid bottom end as well. It's oh my like, god! I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, if you told me this album was recorded like two years ago, I wouldn't bat an eyelid. You know, dude. That is literally one of the reasons I chose this album because it sounds so fucking good. Like it, it's so the guitars are so crisp and you can just feel them in a way. And what I love about it, and I I I made this was an album that uh, I had a long car ride during the time uh, in between the last recording, and I took my little hand mic that I use for interviews when I do podcasting stuff, and I just made like a hundred notes to myself as I was driving. And like, I'd be listening to it. I'd pause it. And then I'd say, well, this part of the song is fucking <laughs> awesome because of this. And so, uh, but I just keep coming back to the one thing, like the guitar sounds so good in this album. First of all, the drums sound amazing. The bass sounds amazing. The vocal sounds amazing. And, but the guitars are just the tone, the bottom end, as you just said, like they're so good. And that's one of the things I love is I, I feel like this album, you can really appreciate the heavier elements of the Scorpions because of the production on this album. Because I, yeah. I think when you hear some of those number one hits that they've Scorpions to me have always been a band that their hits, uh, much like a lot of bands are not their best songs and their hits are what and not most even people representative know them by. of most of their, it, other not songs. even representative of most of their music. So much like a twisted sister, right? So, you, so when you get past that and you see some of this stuff, you're like, Jesus, these guys were heavier than I thought they were, or, you know, especially on the, on the guitar front. So, yeah. And and this album's interesting um, for a few different reasons. Number one, uh, just the quick sort of rundown of the album, released on March 29th of 1982. By 1984, it had gone platinum. Uh, it peaked at number one in France, number 11 in the UK, and number 10 in the US. Uh, as we mentioned before, Klaus Mein on vocals, Matthias Yabs on lead, 
uh, mostly Rudy Shanker on uh, rhythm, mostly Francis Buckholtz on bass, and Herman Rarebell on drums. Now, and Dieter Dirks is the longtime Scorpion producer who also engineered this album. So, I mean, that gives you a, a good So the feel sound for is sort of, basically all down to him, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, what There's some real interesting history about this album, though. Uh, Klaus Mine actually had voice problems during the writing process of this album, and he had to undergo surgery on his vocal cords. They didn't know if he was ever going to sing again. Wow. Prior to them recording this album. And during that time, when he was recovering, Don Dokken, of the amazing 80s band Dokken, uh, was brought in to do demos of the songs as they were putting the album together. Huh. And apparently those demos are floating around somewhere. I have never heard them, but they and they were never released to my knowledge. But Don Dokken came in and did some demos with the band because Klaus was, uh, was recovering for okay, some of the so- process of them putting this album together. So as you're the person who knows this band better than me, here's the, here's my question then. Do the vocal melodies on this album sound different in any way as a result of that to other Scorpions albums? Does the style so. in any way feel different? I feel like, if anything, Don Dokken came in and tried to match whatever you know they were trying to accomplish with their, with their sort of traditional right. sound, because okay. I don't feel like this is brought in. And Don Dokken does not did not back then and does not now have the range that Klaus has, you know, oh, really? in, in terms of those songs. Um, and I love Don Dokken, but Klaus, uh, you know, if Don Dokken is singing at a seven or an eight in terms of, you know, ripping your vocal cords out of your throat, Klaus is usually at a 10 or 11. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, the fact that this is a guy who had to undergo surgery and they didn't know if he was ever going to sing again, when you and then listen comes in to and forms the vocals like this, yeah. on this album, holy shit! Like he is, there is not even a hint of him ever pulling a punch on any well, or, stra- or straining at any. Yeah, point. It, it's unbelievable, dude. Like, and you know that's typical of his entire career with the Scorpions. To me, like he again, talk about a guy that's underrated. I think he is underrated sometimes because of his. Um, his the sort of tropey things that he does like uh, you know the, where every song has the sort of acdc ending to it and stuff like that and his sort of bond scottisms and things like that i think maybe sometimes because it, it can be a little cartoonish at times i think he gets overlooked but he's a tremendous you know lead vocalist yeah well and the reason i asked is because uh there are a few tracks on here where i really like the vocal melodies specifically um i mean yeah his performance is is great and pretty much flawless uh, it's not massively to my taste, but I can, I can appreciate it. Uh, and as I say, some of the melodies I think actually are really, really good, especially on some of the tracks and we'll get through it when we go track by track, but there are some where the guitars aren't actually doing, you know, sort of, they're kind of chugging along doing something fairly conventional, but then what lifts the track is a bit of vocal melody that kind Agreed. of ele- elevates it a bit. Uh, and yep. so that's why I wondered if maybe Don Dokken had had an influence on that, but it sounds like not. And, and the, to me, like one of the things that I love about this album overall is I think it's representative of the best of the Scorpions energy. Like when you feel the energy that Klaus brings to a track, when you feel the energy that those guitars bring to a track and the drums and that like, there's just this live energy to this band that this is an album that feels like 
it feels live when you listen to it. You know what I mean? Like it just has that energy. Right. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't feel like it's been overly processed or right. re-recorded. Or yeah, it, it, it sounds almost almost like you could imagine the band are just jamming yes. this out in one session. Yeah, you know, and, much and like just, Sabbath genuinely did for their first few albums. <laughs> yes, like it just it just feels there's just such a great energy to it. And um, so, in addition to the vocal issues that uh, Klaus Mine had, there are. There's rumors about other people who may have played on the album as well. I actually uh, had heard rumors about uh, Francis Buckholtz, the bass player, and, and whether or not there were some tracks that uh, someone else had played on the album. Uh, Juan Crozier, who was the who played for Dokken and played for Rat, uh, I saw a quote from a, a question somebody had asked him on a message board about an album that he, you know, may or may not have played certain songs on. And he said, on a side note, around the same time, my brother Tom played bass on the Scorpions' Blackout record. I believe he played on eight of the ten songs that record. The Scorps' bass player, Francis Buckholtz, was able to play on two songs before injuring his hand. Tom got a special thanks, but was never credited with playing bass on the album. Blackout went on to sell in excess of five million records. Now, I have the liner notes because I have the CD at my house. And sure enough, in the liner notes... Uh, special thanks to blah 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 Tom Crozier Jr. Uh, huh. in there. So I'm not sure how much truth there is to that particular story. Um, however, it's not uncommon that sometimes uh, uncredited musicians or or musicians that are just mentioned in uh, briefly in the liner notes have helped out with right. uh, an album. But well, I thought that was interesting as well. But Don Dawkins gets a thanks in here too. Right. I was going to say, and he's also the bassist is the only. Uh, musician in the band who doesn't get a writing credit on this album, I believe. Who? I'm sorry, who, the bass player? Yeah. I'm pretty sure everybody gets... Uh, what was his surname again? Uh, it is uh, Buckholtz. Buckholtz, yeah. I'm pretty sure everybody else gets a uh, songwriting credit on one track or more uh, on this album. I mean, most of the tracks are uh, Schenker and Minor, as, you, as you'd expect. But Herman Rebo gets uh credits on a couple of albums as well um and i don't and on uh blackout itself it's like half of germany gets a songwriting credit by the looks of it uh but he's not on there um like every other member of the band is on that one except for him uh so and maybe that's because yeah if he injured his hand you know it it's tough then to even contribute to songwriting let alone playing uh while we're talking about the liner notes as i'm looking at this um CD cover in front of me. Can we just talk a second about how amazing the cover to this album is? It is pretty great. Yeah. Especially compared to some of their other, uh, album covers, which, you know, one thing I did know about Scorpions was that they often had, Oh and, and my goodness. To be, yes. to be honest, that probably, I hadn't even consciously thought about this before, but that may well have, uh, contributed to me thinking this is not a band for me, uh, back, you know, when I was younger, because one thing I did know about them was that, you know, loads of their albums were just like horribly exploitative and sexist album covers. Sorry, I should say, um, and yes. just really kind of turned me off. Yeah, I mean, and you can look back at some of those album covers now, and some of them had to be censored and stuff like that. I mean, there was definitely, uh, at the very least, they were highly suggestive, right? Um, but at, and at most, they were offensive in some ways. Uh, so, but that well, this also one, however, me, is like, not. This is this, no, is this a one classic. isn't at all. Beautiful piece of artwork by, uh, by uh, an established Gott- painter, I think, wasn't it? It was uh, Gottfried Helnwein. It's a self-portrait of of that particular artist, and Rudy Shanker portrays the character in the No One Like You music video. 
Um, so it, you, when you look at it, it looks like it's Rudy Schenker, but it's actually a self-portrait of the artist who did the cover for this album. Right, I see, I see. Who apparently um, had the same cool mustache as Rudolf Schenker. Oh, <laughs> but I was going to say, didn't um, I? Sh- I thought I'd saw somewhere that they asked him to do this cover uh, in the same style as one of his existing paintings. Oh, you know that they saw a painting he'd done and went, "Oh, we'll have something by him in that same sort of style." But may- I don't know. Maybe I've got that wrong. I'm I'm trying to look him up on Wikipedia now, but he's done so much that it's tricky to. Uh, well, and to uh, me, this is like not only probably my favorite Scorpions album cover, but this is this is one of my favorite album covers. I mean, this is just a fantastic album cover. And uh, oh no, I here think- we are. His his self. Uh, oh right, it says his self portrait as screaming bandaged man blinded by forks, nineteen eighty two, became the cover of the Scorpions album Blackout. But it doesn't specifically say whether it was you know whether it which, existed beforehand. Right, which came first? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Either way, it's anyway, awesome. Anyway, yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's a it's a great uh, you know surrealist. It's um, a great '80s rock album cover, man. Just a, just like perfect <laughs> to me. Yeah. Like I, I just absolutely love that. So, um, let's see. Was there any other facts I pulled about that? Oh, Herman Rarebell, a former drummer, said "Blackout" was my title and song. The LP was named "Blackout" when we were in Cleveland on another trip, opening for Judas Priest. Um, so there's your priest connection there. He said, Rudy got arrested in the morning for being drunk. When he came back to the hotel, we were sitting in the bar with Priest and Def Leppard, and he was still drunk. He grabbed two beers and poured them into the TV and then went to his room. When he woke up, he couldn't remember a thing, and I said he had a blackout. That stuck as the title for the LP. Right, well, and the lyrics certainly speak to that. So, okay, so should we get? Should we start going track by track then? Hell yeah. All right. So, uh, well, before we do, we'll just, we always do this. So it's... Yeah, Night Night 2 was the album. It's, there are only nine songs on the album, yes. and it runs for 37 minutes. Which is uh, pretty much perfect. Right, right, be- because there are only two songs longer than four minutes, and one of them isn't by much. But the other one that is, is uh, track eight, China White, which is just shy of seven minutes, which is but comparatively an epic for the other songs. It's there. Uh, it's basically their epic compared yeah. to the other songs for sure. So without that, this album would probably be only just over half an hour long. But it's yeah, it does not stay its welcome. You know, it does what it needs to do in that time. Um, so let's start with then yeah, track one, which is the title track, Blackout. I mean, a great opening tune. Blackout. I think this this song is a great example of what I think the best of the Scorpions are, which is they layer. It's layered, right? So you have that 
uh, riff playing in the background. Then you have that sort of, you know, bent descending at four seconds, and then you get everything sort of crashing in together. And, and right out of the gate to me, it hits you with the energy that this album is going to bring. And you immediately notice the production. Every instrument is very yeah. clear, but it feels like the guitars are always front and center on this album until there's an intentional uh, decision for the purposes of a song to have another sort of instrument take its place. But it's like this thing is loud, in your face, super clear, and the guitars are just boom. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Um, I mean, yeah, this we, we've talked about this, you know, uh, pretty much every episode, uh, the first tra- how it, the importance of the first track on an album, and especially when this was released back in the days when, you know, you bought a whole album uh, yep. rather than just buying tracks off uh, iTunes or whatever. And it re- this one really does tell you what you're in for. I actually don't think it's as energetic as some other songs on the album. Um, I would put this at kind of like medium energy. You know, it's definitely higher than some, but like I don't think it's, you know, it could have been higher, I think. Uh, but it does, yeah, tell you what you're in for uh which you know and if you're into it is good because it's the from the moment i started listening to this i was like oh yeah this is pretty much exactly what i expected scorpions to sound like it's hard rock proto glam european metal uh and i don't you know i don't i don't mean that as a pejorative i just mean like this is exactly what i expected this album to sound like and to me, like one of the signatures of their sound is this sort of uh layering where you'll hear the clean riff then you hear sort of uh, the clean riff with a twist and lots of fills in the background. So there's always so something. So many guitar flourishes. Like, geez, I mean, the next but track like, actually is worse for it. In it, but yeah, just all over. The, there's barely a moment of like of the guitarist not going somewhere. <laughs> but and you may disagree with this, as opposed to the um, what I believe you refer to as noodling. Uh, that happens on a lot of albums and especially like a lot of, uh, you know, heavier like thrash metal albums and stuff like that. Like I, because of, uh, the guitar playing of, of Matthias and of Rudy Shanker, like to me, I feel like they always fit it to the feel of that song. And, and for the most part, it's additive. It's not, um, like you said on track two, you felt like maybe it wasn't, but overall I feel like these, the licks and the fills, they're, they're additive. They, they add, flair they add like a flourish to the song they add like another layer um and that's what i love about them like there's always something to sort of pick out and enjoy that makes it very fun to listen to and i would imagine not being a guitar player myself but every one of these songs i feel like would be very fun to play on guitar oh that i have no doubt about you know what i mean like it's just this and again this one has kind of almost like a swinging uh, sort of vibe uh, to the song which is where i get that it's maybe not as hard-hitting as some of the other ones um but i feel like they they have almost uh, this sort of uh on a lot of their songs this sort of light almost whimsical you know sort of vibe to them and then it goes in a different direction on some other songs so yeah uh but again no, go ahead. What, one thing I do really like on this, guitar-wise, is uh, the chorus where you've got uh, now I know now Rudy Schenker playing like you know the fairly standard riff, uh, but then you've got that sort of lead uh, guitar going underneath the chorus. Uh, yes. But it's a, it's a low, you know, it's on the bottom strings. It's a low yep. descending scale. That's uh, for 1982. 
that would have been, I know that that would have been quite unusual. And that I do like because that's got a kind of, gives it a kind of bounce and yeah, just sort of makes the chorus a bit more complex and interesting. And that's how I feel like they put songs together. You know what I mean? Not, and not that it feels put together because it feels to me very organic, but I feel like it's those layers, right? Because they could just get away, and a lot of bands got away with just playing the riff. Oh, and sure, they yeah. Have that other layer underneath it, and and these guys, there, there's always well, and they do do that layer. On, there are some tracks on this album where they do that in the chorus, and it is just the basic riff and minor singing, and you know, and, and that's it. Uh, and again, not, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I do like that on this one they didn't do that, and they, as you said, made something a bit additive just to sort of you know, elevate it and make it a little bit more complex. Right. What I don't get about this song is why it has 10 songwriters. <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre. Like well, one person came up with the shattering glass effect. <laughs> you know, one person came up with this lick. One person came up with this lick. Yeah. I don't, I don't there's know. The whole is, band, but... There's the whole band, except the bassist, two producers. And then there's another two people who I did a search. The only reference online that I can find to the other two songwriters are as songwriters for the Scorpions. Like, I don't, can't find anything else out about them. It's so bizarre. And they're not on any other tracks on this album, just this one track. Well, I think they did a great job. Oh, well, sure, I'm not knocking it. I just, <laughs> no, I I just don't just understand how Whatever every other track added, on the album... it was great. Yeah, every other track like only needs two or three songwriters, and this one, suddenly everybody gets a credit. You get a credit, and you get a credit, and you get a... It's like, what's right. going on here? <laughs> And Look then, under of course, your seat. <laughs> the, exactly, exactly, right? Y'all, I got a songwriting credit. Uh, I guess it's a good one to have a credit on, especially if they're making any money off of this on the on the back end. Right. So, well, um, and what, was it a single? This one. Uh, let's take a look. See, I think that it was. Uh, nope. The two singles were "No One Like You" and "Can't Live Without You." Oh, okay, so it's just now. My, I mean, the albums, as you said, sold extremely well. So that I think still... it's a song that gets a lot of play. It, gets a lot of play like on rock radio or at least did when I was growing up because right. it's it's a classic sort of scorpion song like it, anyone who's a scorpions fan knows blackout you know sure sure but yeah i mean even an album credit would still generate money from sales of the sure. volume that this album had so so it may it may have been something like that i know that does happen you know artists will sometimes if they have a feeling, if they're like, this one feels good, I think, you know, I think we're going to do pretty well here. Uh, they will sometimes sort of gift a songwriting credit to a producer or, you know, get, let's give the bassist something for once if he doesn't normally write things, that sort of thing. Uh, because they, you know, then they get to share a little in the financial success. So maybe right. that was the case here. I don't know. And then, of course, the, you know, the song ends with the ACDC ending of just, you know, hammering yes. it out and him screaming at the top of his lungs and you know sounding like he's climaxing and then the glass shatters all over the place and so I, again i feel like from an energy standpoint at least the if not the entire song certainly it ends on an exclamation point for sure oh yes absolutely yeah yeah i mean like i say it is it is a good opener uh and it does have you know fairly high energy as i say i just feel like you know bizarrely because you would expect especially on an album like this that the first track would be the highest energy track uh and you know strangely it's not but it is still pretty you no. know as an absolute it, level it's pretty high energy what's interesting about the the flow of songs on this entire album is it's kind of the reverse of what most albums are you know what i mean like the 
like you just talked about maybe the opener not being the the most sort of in your face of all the songs the closer is probably not a song that you would envision as the closer for a lot of albums and then the two heaviest songs are in the middle of the album which right, is at the end of side one and the start of right. side two, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of like all of that is opposite of what you normally expect in terms of the flow of songs of an album. And for me, maybe that's why it kind of sticks out more, because I feel like where most albums dip, this album gets stronger. Right, yeah, could be, could be. All right, so let's move on to track two, uh, and that is Can't Live Without You. was one of the two uh singles off of this album and it uh really hit yeah it hit uh number 20 in france it hit number 47 in the u.s and it hit number 63 on the uk singles chart in 1982 what a strange Um, choice for uh for a single i think well i was gonna say because of the lyrics but then you know most people don't listen to lyrics do they (laughs) no but you can totally see how this was a radio rock hit because a very catchy um it feels very um it feels like a summertime song to me you know what i mean like it's it it, it's it's very catchy it's sort of fun it's upbeat uh but it also still has those elements of the scorpion song tons of fills um yeah like you know, every the basic single and the layers and stuff like that yeah the end of every single line of the chorus has got a different like as far as i can tell every single one is different it has got a little but little, little, little guitar solo <laughs> flourish you know but they're all different like it's like jesus give it a rest guy well um, and the thing is like imagine like and this is a song that they've played uh, probably a billion times live right oh, yeah, but yeah yeah talk about extra stuff to keep track of every time you play a song like that that, that's the thing that impresses me too about them and when you watch some of their live performances like um when we talk about dynamite in a little while like man i've watched matthias play a lot of these songs live and he doesn't miss a beat with them man like it the fills the licks that kind of like just it's all there yeah it's all there and it's a lot to keep track of but uh it's kind of the thing i find the reason i find this weird as a single is because i mean i and i understand completely everything you've just said but the chorus the guitar rhythm in the chorus is kind of stuttered and staccato you know it's not what you think of as a sort of like flowing rock anthemic chorus it's not a soaring chorus yeah yeah yeah. it's it's that sort of which is a little odd yeah it's it's you know it's uh, not bad just like yeah well and even the main the main rhythm riff is kind of a non-traditional like because it's got that 
you know, it's got the the two chords and then like the backwards sort of lick, you know? Yeah, yeah, true. But I I I will say uh that like my initial feeling and you know, still on hearing this song is like if ever there was and I can understand you know why it did well uh, in these in this respect, if ever there was a prototype for mid eighties hard rock radio singles, the the verse riff especially this track is a contender i mean like you know that that opening riff and then the verse just could be any song from the mid 1980s american radio do you know what i mean yep it's and i uh, think that is where people who don't particularly like i i think and someone mentioned and i apologize for for whoever's comment it was that i can't remember who exactly said it but the idea that this was sort of their turn to really becoming more radio friendly um, and getting away from maybe some of the stuff that people really enjoyed about their songs before this point. Right, right. But I think the important thing is to remember, again, this is 1982. This is before, this predates, you know, the real big era of right. glam and hair metal and that sort of radio-friendly right. hard rock. Right, there were a couple rock. years before that really right. blew up. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yes, this is radio-friendly in that sense, but that's why I said a prototype. You know, it's not... They clearly weren't following the crowd in doing this, uh, but instead, what they were doing was again, you know, another band laying down a template for right. what would become one of the mo- biggest, most commercial styles of rock music in the whole decade. And I like the contrast of this song with the first song in the album, "Blackout." Like I, I feel like right. they're, you know, t- both tempo-wise and riff-wise. Like I, I feel like this is a good one-two kind of punch. And then when you get into song three, uh, which is uh, No One Like You. I miss you since I've been away. Baby, was easy to leave you alone. It's getting harder. Don't let I go. I have a choice of That is one of the Scorpions' all-time most famous songs. It was number one in the U.S. It was number 64 in the U.K., and it was number 49 in the top 50 in Canada. This was a huge, huge song for them, and also a huge live song no for idea. them, too. Huh. Um, yeah, I had no idea that this had been such a huge hit. Um, uh, I, I mean, I can see it, because, again, this is another one. Like, if If, <laughs> if the previous track wasn't the template, then this one is. You know, the the two tracks together are, you could pretty much mash them up and go, okay, this is what hard rock is going to sound like in 1980s America. Um, so I can absolutely see why it was a success, but I, I didn't realize it had been. Um, the lyrics, however, <laughs> uh, they're, they're so German. 
Um, like they are, they feel to me like lyrics written by say, guys. I just want to be loved by you. What is wrong with that? Like <laughs> they, they feel like they're written by European guys who think that this is what American bands lyrics are like, like European guys trying to write American lyrics, you know, and maybe they're not wrong. I mean, like I say, this isn't, it's not necessarily a knock. I'm just like reading the lyrics going like, oh my God, this is, yeah, you know, it's like an almost, almost American rock, but there's enough Euro English in there <laughs> that you can realize. It's been a long realize. time that we've been apart, much too <laughs> long for a man who needs love. Like, I mean, it's very touching. Oh dear, oh dear. I just, yeah, it's... What uh, I love about this song is I feel like the first, if you could just get a sound clip of the first five seconds of this a song, like Perfect Scorpions, first you get, it starts with the drum beat, you know, you sort of get the this hit of the snare, then you get the, you know, the dan and then you get the guitar screech right on top of it. Like, just perfect. Like, right. I love the way that this song starts. Um, because again, the main riff behind it is simple but it's all these little layers you've got that lead line over the the chords that are being played i love that in this song the the rhythm is those single notes that are played but you can tell they're on an electric guitar not an acoustic yeah you know and and then again here the bass line uh i feel like is overlooked but it's a great bass line it's it's just a uh, it's just a great bass line. It's like ding, 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 and then he changes it by one note in the second time around. It's just really, I really love this bass line. And so, uh, and then it switches to the harder electric notes being played under the softer notes later on. Like they, they do these sort of things with playing with sort of the lead line and the rhythm line that I really, really like. And of course, again, simple, catchy chorus. This is what the Scorpions do really well. Uh, simple riffs with with layers of licks and fills, uh, catchy choruses, and Klaus sort of delivering vocals at a hundred percent. Yeah, it, it like, is the whole thing. Thing is, I mean, the whole album is really catchy. Uh, you know, that is very much in its favor, and this is a catchy song. My uh, favorite part of the chorus, probably my favorite part of the song, is the semitone drop. Uh, right at the end of the chorus, the last line where he sings, I just want to be loved by you. That yep. drop, I, that's really nice. I mean, it's not that original, even for 1982, it wasn't that original, um, but it elevates again, like what would otherwise be a fairly ordinary chorus. And this is a chorus where there isn't a lot of lead right. guitar stuff going on. It is just, you know, rhythm guitar and vocals. But then that little bit at the end, just kind of, you know, gives it a little twist and makes it much more interesting. And what's the cool thing about that is when he dips, the lead guitar comes over the top of him. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm talking about when I, when I, when I talk, when I love the layers that the Scorpions do, like, unless you thought about that and really just sort of that particular phrase, that particular part of the song, like you would almost just gloss over it. Right. But when you think about how like Klaus dips low and the guitar lick goes over the top of it, that well, little it's perfect yeah well and that's i think that is kind of that's a key ingredient that a lot of people miss with good pop music um yep. you know and i hope people won't get angry you know by referring comparing this to pop music but it is kind of pop rock um and that is something that you know people will the whole point of it is that you can listen to it you know on the surface 
and just enjoy it because it's a nice melody and you can sing along and it's catchy. But then if you dig deeper, you will find these little bits that actually are essential and they're part of what makes it catchy, yep. but you don't necessarily notice them unless you're listening for them. And there's times in this song and all of the other songs where they'll let uh, one of the lead notes just continue to ring out in the background as the song continues. And again, if you're if you're not paying attention for it, then it, then it's not. It just becomes part of the texture. It just yeah. becomes part of the texture. But it's like they the the way that the lead and the rhythm guitars weave in and out of each other, and how you know they'll dip and go over the top and stuff like that. Or as we talked about with. Um, uh, the chorus of Blackout, right? With the, where you know you've got sort of the the rhythm guitar uh, goes high and the lead goes low, like yeah. that 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 sort of layering effect to me. Um, and there's a couple songs where I just think they do it amazingly. Is is what I really love about it. And I I hear different pieces of it every time I listen to the song, or all like it's almost like in my head I'll turn off everything but the bass line when I listen to No One Like You sometimes and just listen to like. You know, it's a really cool bass line that's kind of understated, but it works so perfectly for this song. Or then I'll focus on the lead line, and then I'll focus on, like, th- this is one where you can really sort of start to separate those elements in your head and, and hear how individually good they all are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And th- this is, uh, the drumming in this one is uh, very good as well. And really, um, I I think sort of is a good demonstration of what we were talking about with this, the clean production, because you can hear every every tom every ride every cymbal yes. every kick Eli, it's all just absolutely crystal clear excellent uh sound recording on the drums and it's like and the drums are fantastic on this album there's a couple songs where they completely drive the song and are sort of in the front seat and that's what i kind of like is there's different um as much as this is sort of a guitar led band there are different songs here where each of them gets an opportunity to sort of lead the song and and it works really, really well. But this this is just a great example of, man, uh, just a classic rock track. You can see why it was such a big hit. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and like I say, I didn't know it was a single, but it makes absolute sense. Um, and so uh, on that note, let's move on to track four, which is You Give Me All I Need. And I was going to ask you about this one. Was this a single? Because this is obviously, this is the closest thing they get to a standard ballad on this no. album. Um, at least not, it's not listed as a single um, from this album. But what I like is that this is almost the other side of the coin to no one like you. It's like two approaches to a similar 
concept. You know what I mean? Like, it, because in No One Like You, you have the uh, sort of faux acoustic because you're playing in the individual notes on the electric guitar. And then in this one, you have a true acoustic guitar, right? Which right, which yeah. uh, gives it a little bit more of that ballady feel, but it also makes the electric parts of the song stand out even more because they're played off against a true uh, acoustic sound, which I think is freaking awesome. Um, and the, the, the thing that gets me every time about the song is it's about 35 seconds in, but it's that little pick scratch swish move that they do um, when they're, when you're getting the dual attack of the lead line, you know, where it's bam, bam, banana, and they get it like a, like they get that sort of little swish move. I love that. Like that again, a little flourish that adds another layer to the song that most songs wouldn't have that. They just play it straight. Right. You know, they just play the chords. They just play that. Uh, they just play the chords under the lead. But that little swish move to me just uh, is fantastic. And then this is a song where I feel like the bass line is just phenomenal because, and it pops even more because you've got the acoustic guitar playing, but the bass is like just a notch above it. And it has this almost meandering feel to it. I, I just, I, I think it's fantastic. And again, both of those things contribute to when the electric guitars kick in they sound even heavier, which pulls this out of ballad territory. Well, although an electrified chorus is not, you know, that unusual in, uh, you know, rock ballads. But I, but I see what you mean. What I find fascinating is that you find so much to sort of, so much detail to listen to in this track, because this, for me, was kind of one of the least interesting tracks on the album. Uh, it felt like the whole track is basically built for that one line of the chorus because the chorus is just the same line repeated four times with no variation. Uh, and it just kind of feels like the whole song is built to lead to that one. They got like one good line. And so, you know, let's build a song around it and nothing wrong with that necessarily, but I didn't get the same kind of feeling of detail and interesting things oh, going on in it. That There's you like 10 other things in the song that I absolutely <laughs> love, but I love that the main riff where you've got the, you know, the, the chords under it and you've got the, um, you know, sort of the lead guitar over it where, where they're doing those sort of bent notes there as it gets later in the song or at the end of the chorus, they add like another phrase to it where it, it almost turns around on itself. You know what I mean? It's almost like, um, where it's like, it like answers itself. You know what I mean? It's like this call and response um, sort of thing that they get on the end of that main riff um, that I really like with that. I also, I think that this song highlights how seamlessly and expertly they transition from chorus to verse. Like, if you just go and listen to this entire album from start to finish and only pay attention to that, just pay attention to how a chorus ends and a verse begins. That's oh yeah. The mu- fantastic. Like, the music it, theory of it is absolutely oh solid. Oh my God. Yeah, it's yeah. like, and I feel like they do that here with where the music drops out and you just get like a, a couple of drum beats and stuff like just that that's throughout this entire album. Like just the transitions from chorus to verse are fucking awesome. Um, Who does the solo on this track? Uh, let's see. It might be Rudy. I was because, wondering if it might have been because it f- it feels like I think it is. Let me just double check that and confirm that because it he feels plays like a sort of lead, s- slower, yep, track four. B- 
Right, slower, big ballad style solo. I don't know, there's just something about yeah. it that I thought, I wonder this if one, this is him, yeah. This one, China White and When the Smoke is Going Down, are the three songs that Rudy plays the lead on. And they uh, are, okay, right. So, funnily enough, somehow I could tell that, because I've got the yep. same note for China White as well. Um, yeah, I, don't ask me how, but somehow I could tell that I that feel was like him it's, playing. Um less technically complex and more emotional which are solos which are the solos that i tend to prefer so maybe that's why maybe that's got something to do with it and i I feel like uh matthias has great emotion in his solos as well but to me like there's just another layer of complexity there that that you don't necessarily get again not that rudolph can't play fantastic solos because he does and and certainly has plenty on other albums as well but but if um, he just prefers to play this sort of more bluesy kind of solo yeah i just i really like this song because i to me it's the transitions it's those little flourishes like that little pick swish move that they do um it's a great bass line um and again it's always catchy like that's just a cliche you can use that for every single scorpion song they're all catchy every single scorpion song is catchy that's just the way they write songs yeah um but it's it's it's, so i start there and then it's like what else are they bringing to the table there so um and here again i feel like the with the lead line and the way that it sort of calls and answers itself um with as the song goes on a, a lot of times the that lead guitar in this band is like a second vocalist like just it, they're they're just adding another layer to the song so right it's almost like it's harmonizing yeah yes yeah it's just so good like that so um so yeah i mean uh, through four songs were it's a it, there's definitely some similarities, but it's also kind of hitting to all fields at this point. But what we really haven't had to this point is a real up-tempo... A real barnstormer, yeah. Yeah, kick you in yeah. the balls, you know, straight-ahead rocker, which I think now definitely is at 2 minutes and 35 seconds long. Yeah, track 5 is literally just called Now. Which is really the first straight ahead, you know, we've kind of hit to all fields to this point in the album. We've had um, some rockers, we had, we've had some almost ballads, but we really haven't had like a straight ahead, just kick you in the balls, up-tempo rock song. Now is that song. It absolutely is, yeah. Um, and, you know, unsurprisingly, this, it, this track is much more my kind of thing. This and uh, the following track. Oh. In my in my opinion, they're like the best eight minutes of this album. We're um, going to talk a lot about these two songs, yeah, right? For sure, yeah, sure. Uh, the but <laughs> let's take let's recap for a moment uh, because on this side of the album, uh, and I know that this is when this was issued as vinyl. This was the last track on side one. Yep. Um, we've had 
three songs about living the rock and roll life and two about how much he needs a woman. It's not a huge amount of lyrical variety going on here. Let me be clear, Anthony. The Scorpions are about two things. Rock and roll and fucking. That's what yep. the Scorpions do. I'm, That's I'm what they've that always impression. done. That is what every song is about. Uh, that, you, you know, again, uh, that is who they are. And, and I would also say that there is an element of sexiness to their bass lines and to their guitar lines that play right into that constantly um especially on some of the slower tempo songs and things like that but that the scorpions about rocking and fucking that's what the scorpions do that's what they write about that's what they talk about that is those are the two themes in almost every single song uh, except for the occasional hey man can we just make the world a little bit better place right because it's kind of shitty to treat each other bad um so so i like that i mean i can get behind that they're behind world peace banging and rocking not bad messages to have. Like they're not about uh, hating other they're people. Not, no, they're, they're not, not terrible. about. You know, they're they are. I feel like they could run on that platform. Well, I think they have. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking about the sort of the guitar lines and the bass lines being, you know, kind of sexy, and they are because I think that's because uh, they are basically hard rock style of playing. It is that kind of quite simple, very direct, again, ACDC, you know, sort of thing. But it's got a bit of swing. It's not like the thing about sort of when, you know, thrash took over metal. Thrash has almost no swing to it. You know, it is all very technical, straight down the line, four before, uh, you know, jung, 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 jung. Whereas this is more like jing, 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 jing. Yes. And that is just a sexier kind of sound. Yep. And you're allowed to smile in this music too, which I think is important. Right. Where, whereas, <laughs> yeah. you know, with uh, it, 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 and they wear that right on their sleeve. You know, like they're about having a good time. And but, um, you know, I don't know what I don't know how much credibility this thought has. But my my thought is that even though they, you know, they write about sex and they write about, um, you know, the rock and roll lifestyle, I feel like as opposed to a lot of the hair metal bands. Uh, and the glam bands, it is a lot less misogynistic than... Mm, I don't know, some of these lyrics are a bit dodgy. Not necessarily in this track, but there are some lyrics on this album, uh, and some of the lyrics are rocky like a hurricane as well, are kind of dodgy. Yeah. You know? Uh, like what this is one rocky like a hurricane's got like, sort of got to give I guess I just feel like with the Scorpions that they're... (laughs) album covers are a lot more offensive than anything they've actually said in their songs. That's my general... I wouldn't disagree with that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when you look at their album covers, you're like, Jesus, these guys are brutal. And then you get into the songs and you're like, yeah, I mean, they're writing about sex, they're writing about the the rock and roll lifestyle, but they're not... um, It just seems like their album covers are a lot harsher. Whereas with a lot of the, you know, glam metal bands of the 80s, the lyrics are a lot harsher than whatever you're going to see on the album cover. Oh yeah, no, 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 absolutely no question. I mean, yeah, it's nothing like the sort of uh, uh, the sort of lyrics that you would get from you know Motley Crue or uh, right, in their prime yeah, or whatever. yeah, exactly. Uh, but there is um, where is it? There's a line. In fact, it's one of the first lines. Yeah, here we are. Rock you like a hurricane. The second verse starts with the bitch is hungry. Uh, she needs to tell. Yeah, so yeah. give, you can't so give her one. inches and feed her well. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> you know, that's to be fair, of, though, I mean, you're pulling that in from another album that's not on this album, so right, I feel like but I mean, the, yeah, but there are a couple on this album as well where it's well, and the next track, in fact, has got a couple of lyrics that I pulled out. So, and like I say, I'm not, you know, that's what everybody did. It's of its time, you know, and it's that kind of hard rocking stuff, especially of the '80s. Uh, you know, I'm not knocking it per se, but. Yeah, it's like it was around this point in the album where I'm like, okay, do these guys sing about anything else? <laughs> no, I mean, no, world peace, having sex, and rock and roll lifestyle. That is, yeah, that is about pretty it. much it. But um, interesting too, like, and, and you know, they mentioned with the whole blackout thing about that being about Rudy Shanker sort of blacking out. But um, when I think of Scorpion songs, I don't think uh, as much about like the the drugs part of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, right, it doesn't right. seem like they also sex, got booze, too, and rock and roll. Yeah. It's almost like sex and rock and roll lifestyle as opposed to really getting into the nitty gritty about, but although I'm sure that some of their songs explore that more, but it's, uh, it, to me, but, it seemed a little more superficial, you know? Yeah. I suspect that they probably explored that more as well. Cause oh, hasn't, oh, yeah. hasn't Michael Schenker been in and out of rehab most of his yeah, life? I believe you are correct. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, getting away from that back to the song, one of the things I really like about this song is talking about, we talked about the uh, energy earlier is like how much energy this track has. Oh, it's uh, great. It's, I'd say this is the most energetic song on side one and that's not just because of the speed, but just because of the way everything is delivered. It feels like, you know, this one, everybody is just giving it their all uh, on this particular track. I totally agree. And I feel like Herman Rarebell's snare drum drives this entire song. I mean, he just hammers on it. Like, I, it, to me, like, this song feels like he's just playing the drum so freaking hard. And uh, again, when we talk about the layers and how, you know, one element of the song sort of uh, goes over the other one, like, what I love is like, uh, right before the chorus, which is, is less of a chorus than like an exclamation point on the end of the right, verse, right? Right, it's not much of a chorus, just, yeah. But right before he does that, they'll hit a chord and they'll just let the chord continue to ring out and everything else drops out and he's just hammering on that snare drum. Like that's the only thing that's keep. And then he goes into the vocal part of the, of the chorus yeah. there. So like that, that kind of stuff where um, it's like going ahead at a hundred miles an hour, then everything drops out and then it's just the snare drum and then it comes back in like that kind of stuff. I, I feel like they, that's that transition stuff to me that is just so good. And Klaus is just at 11, this entire yeah, yeah. songs and you get the ACDC ending, right? Where it's yes. now, 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 and he's freaking <laughs> yeah. playing it. Like I, I just, I always picture Angus because that's the way they end every song. Uh, well, and the but, snares talking about the snare drums in this one, they're kind of the, the way that they do that transition as well is with an offbeat. Uh, where, as you say, everything else just sort of drops out and the guitars are ringing. And then the snares, I don't think he's even playing a kick at that point. He's literally just doing sort of dum, 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 dum on the yep. snares, which is, you know, a break from the usual rhythm. It's so, killer, man. I love it. Yeah, it, it is great. I mean, that's talking about elevating stuff. That, again, you know, because this doesn't really have a chorus, but that makes it that. And then, obviously, Miner's screaming, na, 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 just that may as you know that's enough that's all you need for the chorus on this because of the the speed of the song and it kind of highlights for me that like with the scorpions every song is the last song of the night and that's very much like acdc too you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean like every song is the closer you know like like it, it I, I just kind of love that about them like they're just no like, i get it motorhead was the it. same like yeah, yeah you see motorhead playing live and every song ends with them going dan and the drums thrashing everywhere and like that's every song <laughs> Absolutely. 
And then, of course, I mean, the next song, well, Dynamite. And then, yeah, I mean, you'd, you you know, in the olden days, uh, you would turn over the album. So, I mean, as, as we said, like, as an album, as a side closer, that's an unusual track. Uh, not that people didn't always have, you know, an up-tempo track to end aside, but to have one that yes. energetic, that in your face, it was a little unusual. But uh, it certainly makes you want to flip the album over, that's for damn sure. Right, and then, yeah, and then you flip it over and you get track six, Dynamite. god i love this song this is by <laughs> far by leaps and bounds my favorite song in the album in an album full of songs that i adore this right. song is just again so many things about this song first of all the fact that it sounds like you're coming in after the song already started because they hit the, the they just hit the chord and then the first drum beat comes in right, right after right. it's like this one two thing that to me I just fucking love that. That every time it gets me. It, it, it is. The, I agree. It's the best song on the album. I don't think there's any question of that. Um, and, and they so, do that you know, throughout. Like they like at 42 seconds. Uh, when again, you've got that sort of uh, jazzy drum beat that uh, Klaus is singing over to begin with before a chord is even struck right in the verse, and then at like 42 seconds they strike the first chord, but it's struck one beat after you expect it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a bit like, I think it's on track three where, um, uh, you get the drums, kick it off. And then Rudy Schenker comes in with the, the guitar line, but the yep. guitar line actually precedes. It comes in maybe like half a bar before the actual start of the rhythm, yes. which is also a nice little touch. So similar oh, sort I of get, thing. I just love that stuff. Um, and so one of the things about this track, <laughs> you'll laugh. <laughs> Guess where I first heard this track. Where? It was in, in SSX4 again. It was another nice. song. It was another song. I didn't that even I didn't... know that was in that game. Well, and I didn't know that it was Scorpions. Like, I know that as soon as it started, I was like, wait a second, I know this track. I know this track so well because it, it being the sort of like speed and tempo and energy that it is, it's a really common track to hear in that game. Uh, and so I do genuinely like this track because uh, I've heard it so often. And it is a good track, but I had no idea it was Scorpions. I actually thought it was Dio. <laughs> oh, I could totally see that, uh, especially because um, to me, Herman Rarebell at times strikes that snare drum like Vinnie Apice, that heavy, heavy snare drum. And I, 
to me, I just love that. I like you feel it every time he hits right. that snare drum. But it was vocally that I think that made me think it was. Uh, oh, Dio. I could totally see that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. So. To me, like every element of this song is perfect. The baseline, if you just listen to the baseline, like it's a thumping baseline, but also has some nice little flourishes to yeah. it. The, the bass seems really loud on this one as well. Seems much louder than on the other tracks. Which I think is awesome when you have a real straight ahead, like, uh, you know, pounding sort of bass line. I think that works really well. Uh, the solo in this song is one of my favorite guitar solos ever of all time in any song that I've ever heard. Uh, because to me, the solo in this song is as if he's trying to like corral a wild animal. It's like he's trying to wrap his hands around a tornado. Like it starts out with what sounds like com- a complete lack of control. And from what I have seen, cause I've actually watched people try to break down the solo in YouTube videos. That's my new obsession as I watch people play, um, break down guitar solos and he's sliding the pick as he's hitting the notes with his fret hand, but he's just sliding the pick up and down the strings near the pickups and so it has this very, you know, almost like out of, almost like he's playing it wrong sort of feel to sort of start off with. Like it's completely out of control. And then as the solo goes on, he starts to actually hit the notes and he starts to play. And so it, it gives this feel of like, it's almost something he can't even control at the beginning of the solo. But as the solo goes on, he like reins it in and is able to control it and then finishes the solo off in an amazing fashion. So it's, the progression of that solo to me is just fucking phenomenal. And I've watched him play it. I've, there's some great videos uh, of him playing it live and he fucking plays it exactly like on the album. Just wow. kills it, dude. Like, it, Which to me is even crazier because it sounds so out of control that he's able to recreate that consistently. But well, it sounds like I haven't seen these videos, but it sounds like what you're describing is sweep picking, uh, which is, you know, sort of an established technique, but it is a tricky one. It's a really tricky one to, you know, do, get right consistently. So yeah, I mean, that does speak to his skill. Certainly. It's just, it's just a fucking great solo. And, uh, but again, at the end of that solo, you get Herman just hammering on the drums again. Uh, and then right before the main riff kicks back in, you get a nice little pick slide, which yep. that's, I'm always looking for the extra pick slide. <laughs> so they um, nail that. I love the, uh, the wailing, the high wailing guitar during the chorus yes. uh, as well on this as, as well. Cause again, you know, like at the time, relatively unusual because it's not playing a melody. It's playing what, like three notes, but they're really high. Uh, and you know, not even in the same key, I don't think, as the yeah, rest like of one, the chorus. two, three, yeah. one, two, three, yeah. And it's but it's really effective, you're really good. Um, this is a track with some slightly dodgy lyrics. Uh, what is it? Shoot my heat into your body, give you, <laughs> give you all my size. I mean, you know, <laughs> slightly dodgy. Uh, which I mean, but, class mine is what four feet tall. Um, <laughs> like that, right. that's kind of funny to me like he's easily that's when you look at if you go on the wikipedia page right now and you see the band standing next to each other like he he looks like a child uh standing next to the rest of the band so maybe that's know. another reason i'm mistaken for dio <laughs> yeah no, no exactly there is that dio effect for sure 
um but yeah i overall i agree with you i think this is easily the best track on the album uh you know some of that is probably just familiarity because as i say i turns out i know it really well uh without realizing i did but it is also just a great track with loads and loads of energy and yeah you know some great uh musicality in it yes i adore this song this is one of this is might be my favorite scorpion song ever I just oh, wow. love this song. Love it. Um, All right. So let's move on then to track seven, and that is Arizona. A fascinating song for multiple reasons. Uh, the first of which is that this feels like the prototype for Rocky Like a Hurricane. Oh. It feels like, which they would be on their very next album, right? Yeah. So this, you know, feels, like, that, yeah. this feels like the studio version of a song that you didn't end up using. Right, like that, right. It, and that's what the I B-side. love about it. <laughs> it feels like a B-side, right? And then they took that basic rhythm and tweaked it just slightly to create Rock You Like a Hurricane. Um, but what I like about this one, and I, I feel like it, it helps it fit a little better in context, is that this song feels uh, very much like a sister song to Can't Live Without You, right? Can't Live Without You was the song in the first side that had that sort of swinging, almost summertime uh, whimsical sort of feel to it. And I feel like this is the song in the second side that has that swinging summertime, almost whimsical feel to it. So it, to me, it's the twin song of, um, can't live without you. Right. I mean, I, I, I wish the lyrics weren't quite so cringe inducing, uh, on this one. Cause they really are quite, yeah. You know, um, well, cringe inducing. Um, but I, one of the things I like in this track is the vocal melody throughout the whole thing, like everything from the verse, the pre-chorus, the chorus itself, uh, everything about the vocals. It's a great melody. It's a really good performance. Um, and again, for me, I think that kind of like elevates, I wouldn't say saves the track, but I think without, with a less capable vocalist and with a less interesting vocal melody, I don't think this track would stick in the memory as much as it does. And a lot of that is just that the end of the chorus, uh, not again, not that it is much of a chorus, but you know, when he's, when he sings the, does the variation sings the loose, yep. you know, go that, that does kind of like stick in the, in the mind. Um, I also like the layers of the two guitars where you have one playing two chords and the other one plays two chords. So it's this constant, yeah. like back and forth between the two of them. And the way that it works with the bass line under it and the drums under it is it just it has a really good effect, especially if you're listening to it with like headphones on. Uh, it really oh, I has haven't that. actually done that with this album yet. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, there's some great like that that sort of layering effect that they have to a lot of the songs like in headphones is just sublime. Uh, and this is one of those songs because it's because it's slower tempo, you can really um, sort of get a feel for that. This song also has a little bit of uh, Michael Jackson's Black or White in it. 
there's like a that you can hear in uh, part of the song too that makes me think of that every time. And I also like that the solo, which I think is very sort of up and very sort of light, uh, is sort of repeated at the end of the song. I like that as well. Right, yeah, yeah. The uh, well, the, um, with the guitar, I mean, the, yeah, the solo's okay, but the flourishes. The, this is the song that really I was getting quite tired of. Like every line has got some kind of guitar flourish on it, and I'm like, just put it away, dude. It's like, you know. Oh my god, give- that's like uh, the, to me. That's like eating Cheetos. Like, just give me more. <laughs> just like give me more of one of those. Like, I can't have just one. I want a flourish in every line, in every rip. I want it all. Like. Um, once you pop, you can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> because I also feel like even though, uh, I can totally see how over the course of an album like that starts, to, can start to get a little tedious, especially if that's like not something that you're looking for in a lot of songs. But what I like about them is that, as you mentioned earlier, everyone is different. Uh, right. right. So it, it, like, it I, never I give them credit like for a, that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like how at some point you'd be like, Jesus, aren't you guys like out of ideas when it comes to these little fills? But no, like they do a really good job of like matching it to, uh, the tone and the mood of a particular song. And so that's to me kind of what makes Scorpions so well, insanely good is that and I'm like, assuming that, uh, I mean, I assume that that's the uh, lead guitarist. Uh, sorry, forgive me. I've forgotten his name. Um, oh, uh, uh, Matthias Yabs. Yabs. Right. That's it. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, this guy Yabs is a, uh, properly trained guitarist, not necessarily classically trained, but you know, somebody who was clearly yeah. had lots of formal training and music education and stuff, because I feel like that's that knowledge and that sort of level of skill and practice is what allows you to do that sort of thing to, Oh, I'll just, do a different fl- yeah, exactly. I'll just do a different flourish every time. It's no yep. problem. No big deal. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Whereas yeah, you or I, you know, self-taught in a garage somewhere would struggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um uh, you know and it's funny that you mentioned the lyrics like i don't even know what the lyrics are to this song for me like uh when i listen to klaus sing it's not that i can't understand what he's saying because i think that for the most part he's really clear in in delivering uh, his his vocals but yeah, his pronunciation I, is occasionally a bit dodgy but it's mostly good yeah yeah but i li- like i literally don't even hear the words that he's saying for me it's all um his tone and his emotion like to, right. it, like when he sings to me like it's just pure energy coming out and so because i feel like the the guitars are always so present in this band like he's just to me his voice is another is like an instrument and i i couldn't even tell like honestly i'm trying to think right now of like I can't even recite the lyrics to most of their songs like even the ones i like blackout i couldn't even recite the lyrics off the top of my head right now to oh, wow. blackout and blackout is one of my favorite scorpion songs of all time. Like it is so, and it doesn't sound like I want to dig too much deeper into it. Well, like, I was just going like, to say, Arizona I'll tell you what, it's a great I, song to me yeah. without even thinking about any of the lyrics. You know what I, I mean? I would encourage you then not to look too deep into the lyrics of Arizona yeah, and no, just, just be content to. with, uh, with, you know, the level of recall that you already have. Uh, <laughs> Right, because to me, when you say, Brian, what is Arizona about? I'm, I'm like, oh, it's about a, a time that they probably played in Arizona and had a really good time and think fondly of that place. like that. That's Which what, is absolutely true. That like, is that's exactly what it's understanding about. understanding of the song. Like, uh, if you asked me what Dynamite is about, to me, Dynamite is about them performing live 
and him doing whatever he can possibly do to get the crowd into it. Like that's without looking at any of the lyrics, that's what dynamite is to me. Um, same thing with now it's about, it's about him getting the crowd fired up and them, you know, um, just delivering as much as they possibly can to, to the crowd. So like, that's what I hear when I hear that song without knowing any of the lyrics. Like, so I could probably like annotate each one of these songs about what I think they're about without looking at any of the lyrics. <laughs> and then you'd be like, Oh God, no, that's about something totally different. Like, and, you, and it's really bad. So yeah. All right. Well, like I say, yeah, I would encourage you not to dig too deep. Okay. Then. Uh, so that. instead let's move on to uh, track eight, China white. my god the epic of the album how can you do so much with so little anthony how can you do so much with so little well i know i know exactly how you can uh like for one thing the title of this song makes no sense to me um because china white right is slang for cocaine yep but this this song has nothing to do with that it's about when they went to china and they played there and they had a good time (laughs) and they think fondly of that time like i don't know why you're reading so deeply into all of these songs they're all very whimsical uh, fondly remembered times that they've spent in, you know, around the world playing music for people. That's all they want to do is play music for people. Right. Well, except of course in this one, you know, uh, and I know you're being, you know, ironic. There I did actually pull some lyrics for this one all. because yeah, this is a complete sort of, Oh, the world is terrible and the politicians are going to get us all killed. Yes. Why can't we all live in peace and love song? Yes. Uh, which, which is an absolutely fine sentiment. I just don't understand what it's got to do with cocaine. <laughs> No, I don't either. Uh, but being a slow and moody song, this is unsurprisingly, I do like this one. This is one oh, of my man. favorites on the album. I um, mean, the bass line, simple, but just, it sounds so good. And then the guitar, this is another song where like the guitar tone and the bottom end of those guitars, like it's just allowed to ring out for seconds after each. Uh, there's This song has so much room to breathe and that's why I forgive the fact that it's essentially just playing the same thing over and over and over again for seven minutes because it's so each individual piece sounds so good and it and it's allowed to breathe. And I really like that. Yeah, even the bridge and the solo like barely change. The the right. only time it changes is when he sings that line, it's up to you. And suddenly a new chord appears, uh, but you know, but not for long. And then we go back to the, to the same old rhythm. Right. Like at um, three minutes and 30 seconds, they give you that, da, 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 you know, they kind of bring it in a little bit heavier um, for that one. Then it goes right into the solo, which is very trippy and, yeah. and sort of. Um, but th- that's how they, the reason that this song is so long. Well, not the reason why, but you know, like one of the things that enables them to make it so long, if you like, is that the, the guitar riff 
is not in the same time signature as the drums. They are mismatched. Uh, and so they're mismatched in a way I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I think it might be seven, eight or something, but they're mismatched in a way that you have to play four lines of the guitar riff before you get back in time with the drums. So that's why there is such a gap between each verse, because every time he starts playing that guitar riff, okay, well, we're here for another four lines because otherwise everything's going to be out of time. Uh, And that kind of artificially lengthens the song. Now that may well have been the entire intent, Uh, you know, like, and that's fair enough. God knows I listen to plenty of bands that do that sort of thing you know, quite deliberately and go, ha ha, you know, this will make the song 12 minutes long. Sure. Um, so I'm not knocking it, but that is, once you realize that you're like, oh, that's why this song takes so long because they kind of have to. And I like this. I like that the solo in this song, which I believe is Rudolf Schenker is very different than every other solo on this album. And it yes, fits it is, yeah. perfectly to this song to me. So like I, it just, it's such a different song from every other thing on the album, which is shorter much more um, sort of concrete, much more catchy. This is the one song on the album that goes in a completely different direction, and I really dig that about it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'm, actually, I'm actually kind of surprised that this wasn't the last track. Uh, so, you know, it, it almost feels like this could be the closer. I think that it is, and perhaps this is me uh, not paying enough attention to the lyrics again of the song, but... The way that I think of this album is that it's an eight-song album with an epilogue, because uh, it, it, it bothered me that, because to me, the eight songs in this album, if it was just those eight songs, it would have been one of the greatest albums of all time. Desert Island album for me, it, it like, and initially, I felt like having When the Smoke is Going Down as the last song in the album was a mistake, that it wasn't... Okay. It wasn't a good closer. That it wasn't um, indicative of what the rest of the album had been. Well, let's let's play a clip then and get into that. So yeah, track nine, the final track on the album is "When the Smoke Is Going Down." It wasn't until I pulled the lyrics to this song, because it's, it has this sort of melancholy feel to it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, of like the tired performer and stuff like that. So it wasn't until I pulled the lyrics for it that it made perfect sense to me as the closer. Right, why they put it last on the album, absolutely. Exactly, yeah. because he's talking about when the concert is over and everybody has gone home, I like to go back out to the stage that we just played on because it's like this peaceful place 
for me to revisit. And when you think about that, then all of a sudden it makes perfect sense why it's the last song in the album, because they just played you a concert and this song is about him going back on stage after there's nobody left there and just kind of taking it all in again, um, which I thought was such a cool concept and really made me think differently about this song. When Not that it's a bad song, because I think it's a, it's a great song. Um, it just didn't fit for me at first as the closer on this album until I, I paid attention. And consequently, this is really the only song on the album that I went and sought out the lyrics for. Right. Just to kind of try and get a deeper understanding of the song. And it totally made the song better for me. Yeah, no, it's, it it is a good concept. And it's like, I mean, you know, even when they do a serious song, it's still about rock and roll. Uh, (laughs) It's still about the rock and roll lifestyle, you know? Um, Right. But I think maybe it's because this comes immediately after China White. So you have two relatively slow, relatively sort of serious stroke melancholy songs back to back whereas sure. the whole rest of the album has not been that at all right. if maybe i understand totally why this is the last track but if maybe they'd moved china white to earlier in the album so there was another up tempo track between it and this maybe it wouldn't feel so strange um i mean you know i again, wonder you know, if, as you said if, this album's gone platinum what do we know but sure it it, thematically, it just feels a bit weird that you've got this fairly high-energy album right the way through until suddenly the last, what, like, you know, 11 minutes yep. is actually quite slow. Yeah, I mean, what if you opened Side 2 with China White and that bass line? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that yeah, might have yeah. worked uh, a little bit better, and then you did uh, something like Arizona after that, and then Dynamite, and then The Closer. Right. Like and that then might have been... Yeah, that seems seems more logical to me as well. But like I say, you know, we don't sell, we don't have platinum selling albums. So right, we, we haven't sold billions and billions of records. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's crazy. But one of the things I like the musically, the most sort of interesting part of this for me is the mood change, which is kind of an inverse of, do you remember in, uh, which song was it? Um, Oh, in track three again, in No One Like You. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned that semitone drop at the la- yes. the end of the last line of the chorus. Well, here, instead, what you get is a almost like the reverse, where he goes up a semitone to make a suspended fifth, which is really unusual. Like, suspended notes are normally fourths, in my experience, anyway. But he makes a suspended fifth when he sings that uh, Climb the Stage Again each, this night, because this place still seems alive. It just, yes. it's an unusual nice very good vocal melody and that again is kind of because it goes back down to the fourth then and that again kind of elevates this chorus for me it's like it's not a bad song at all but it's not until you get to that bit that suddenly i'm like oh oh okay that's nice that was a nice little touch you know absolutely and i'm just looking at the liner notes here now interestingly herman rarebell wrote a lot of the lyrics um him and Klaus Mein are the two main lyric writers, it looks like. And this particular song, When the Smoke is Going Down, was completely written by Klaus Mein, which makes perfect right. sense. I mean, it, just, yeah, it sounds like he's telling you a story about that. So, um, so yeah, it's I, clearly I, about an, his own experience. Yes. And I do really like that, the picture that that paints in your head of him sort of climbing the stage, uh, climbing the steps and going back out on stage when no one's there anymore. That's kind of awesome. It, um, it also helps finally make sense of the title because 
the title sounds like really bad English until you read the lyrics. And then you're like, oh, that's what he means. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if you had asked me without looking at the lyrics, like, what the song's about, you know, um, the title doesn't give you a lot of clues. Yeah, it really doesn't. And, it's, uh, and grammatically, it only makes sense in the context of the lyrics. But then right. it does make sense. You're like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> yep. Um, but it is it is an unusual closer. It doesn't really, you know, this is something else that we always talk about. It doesn't really fulfill that uh, purpose of making you immediately want to That's right. flip it over and listen to it again, which is a shame. Right. Right. Now, if Dynamite was the closer on this side of the album, you'd flip that sucker over immediately. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd be so like, give me more. <laughs> and I, I would love to hear people's thoughts on that, too, because we, you know, with certain albums, we've talked about that, like, oh, would you change the order of the songs and stuff like that? And I always find that to be an interesting discussion of, like, how do these songs line up for other people? in the way that they were sort of laid out there, because that's, that's something I think a lot of times there's not enough discussion about is like, why did the band put the songs in this order? You know, why was that? And we assume it, well, but we assume it was, assuming it was the band because that's the other thing is, yeah. Yeah. Being in the early eighties, you know, nowadays, uh, I think most people, most young people would probably be aghast at the idea that like the band wasn't in control of what right. order tracks might go on an album. But back in the 80s and before, it was absolutely normal for the record label to decide the running order of yeah. tracks on an album. Uh, and that may well have been the case here. Who knows? Yeah. So, so I mean, overall, I absolutely love this album. It is, again, as I said, probably my favorite Scorpions album, and it has a few of my all-time favorite Scorpion songs on it, and um, I just love it. Yeah. Uh, well, so for me, uh, I mean, it's this is one of those things where because this album's so old, it's, you know, you've got to listen to it in context. Um, and listening to it now, so much of what's on this album became the way to make hard rock, you know, pop rock songs in the 1980s, that it is, it's hard to sort of not think, well, that sounds really derivative. Um, Because, you know, it's like watching Blade Runner. Yep. Now, which is obviously around the same time as well. You know, you look, you watch it now and you're like, well, I've seen that a million times before. Yes, but you hadn't seen it then, (laughs) you know. Exactly. Absolutely. And I figure a lot of this album is like that. It's like, it is full of things that I've heard a million times It's like watching Night of the Living Dead now. Exactly. And people exactly. being like, well, this is just Walking Dead, the movie. Right. But if I'd listened <laughs> to this in 1982, I suspect a right. lot of it would have been sounded a lot fresher and a lot more new. Um, however, what I will say, there's a weird sort of dichotomy with me listening to this compared to, uh, and I can hardly believe I'm saying this, but to me, Def Leppard's High and Dry actually sounds more kind of vital and energetic because that's from the year before, than this album. Uh, which, you know, pretty much every listener has now fallen over. So I'll give them a minute to you know, oh, write themselves and catch their breath. That doesn't shock me at all. Like, if you, <laughs> as I, I'm sure I said during that episode, if you could bottle that sound of Def Leppard at that point in time, like, that that was where, that was the pinnacle of Def right, Leppard. That, at, that was kind of dynamite, yeah. But oh I was going to say, but, yeah. but to turn it around, however, this album is catchier. Like that may oh, yes. have probably sounded maybe fresher at the time, but this in terms of actual songwriting is way, way catchier and way better. Like just general songwriting like this one, I will probably keep in my rotation 
you know, I'm not going to go out and I'm not going to say that this is now, you know, that I love the Scorpions and I'm a huge fan and this is one of my favorite albums, but it's a good album and it is catchy and I will listen yeah. to it again. Whereas High and Dry, I literally haven't listened to since we talked about it on the show, which was what, what last year. Uh, I literally haven't listened to it since and then. I, I think and, for you people know, that are dismissive of the Scorpions, like it's easy to shit on some of their hits and what they sort of later became, which was kind of like a watered down version of themselves. Right. Um, but without well, much like seems, Def Leppard. <laughs> yeah, 100%, dude. Absolutely, 100%. And, um, but hopefully, some people who maybe have never listened to this album today can at least um, have a better appreciation for them as a whole now and maybe why they've been around for so long and why they are considered to be such an important part of the, the landscape. And it's because they, again, this was at this time this came out, they had been around for almost 20 years at that point. So, which is kind of extraordinary, really. It's isn't kind it? of amazing, right? Because you're talking about mid 60s that they came together and they had already been through the Michael Shanker and the Uli Roth eras before getting to this particular point. So, I mean, th- there's there's a lot to explore with this band, a lot that I haven't explored with this band because again, this was the lineup that I came in for. Um so I don't have that knowledge of the previous uh, sort of lineups and and as much of an appreciation, although I will say that In Trance is also one of my favorite Scorpions albums and one of their earlier albums. So, um but yeah, I just uh to me, yeah, when I we that. talk Is about it... Iron Maiden and we talk about um, Judas Priest and we talk about you know bands like that. Like to me, the Scorpions are in that conversation as well. Are there any tracks off of? Because uh, I've seen In Trance mentioned a couple of times reading up about the Scorpions for this. Are there any tracks off that that I might recognize or that I might know? Um, well, that particular song would be one uh, that you might recognize, and uh, I'm trying to pull them up. Oh, what an actual song called In Trance, you mean? Yes, from that. So the second one, uh, the second song in the album is "In Trance," um, which is my favorite song on the album. Uh, I'm trying to think of what their singles were off that album. Does it say? It doesn't say. You got "Dark Lady," you got "In Trance," you got "Life's Like a River," "Top of the Bill," "Living and Dying," "Robot Man," "Evening Wind," "Sun in My Hand," "Longing for Fire," and "Night Lights," which is an instrumental. Um, but that's a newly John Roth album, so. Right, yeah. If you I want to hear like how, where where that was different, and again, it's from 1975, so it's seven years prior to um, the Blackout album, so it's definitely a different sounding album. But that uh, that sort of that sort of vibe that all the Scorpions albums have is certainly still there too. Right, I was going to say none of those uh, titles, uh, you know, sort of ring any bells. But then, you know, given that, as I say, I thought Dynamite was a Dio track. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> all bets are off you know <laughs> uh all right so uh let us then get to the listener choice let's do it to the random listener choice so uh first of all before we do this i'll give our usual closer and remind people uh you know say thank you for listening to everyone obviously uh if you enjoy the show please spread the word Rate us on iTunes and on the Google Play podcast store. And of course, the Patreon, you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thrash it out. If you want to get in touch, go to thrash for links to uh, email and Twitter. Or of course, you can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. And so before you do, if I could just make oh, one on, quick on. plug. 
um, because by the time you hear this episode, it may actually be out now. But um, for those that don't listen to the Secret Identity podcast, Matt and I are wrapping that show up at our 800th episode, which is coming up in the next sort of month and a half. Ah, uh, yes. But we are doing a podcast about music that is called the Power Chords Podcast. And if you like more of the hair metal stuff or sort of that 80s rock and roll piece, um, we will be covering a lot of that stuff. But it's it, it will be very different than this show in that it's not as much of a deep dive. It's more of the same uh, news reviews, discussion, and interviews that we have done with Secret Identity for years. We're sort of taking that to our other love, which is music. So, um, So you may want to check that out as well. All right. Yes, absolutely. People should. No, uh, no question. So the uh, it is time for the selection of the patron listener choice album uh, selection nomination poll thing, uh, which we really <laughs> really need to come 30? up. <laughs> really need to come up with a catchier title for. I like 32. that. That's good. Can you say that again one more time? Uh, no. Uh, there are thirty-two lines. Holy crap! Uh, and of those, yeah, one of them, a High on Fire album. Uh, two people nominated, but every other one is a separate, uh, a different nomination. Holy crap! Um, and we had some great comments as well that came in with the uh, nominations. So, uh, for example, a uh, David Win. <laughs> actually uh uh said i i'm just going to nominate the same album every time he nominated napalm death's diatribes and he did that last time as well yeah <laughs> um uh what else we've got uh so kenny mobley uh suggested an iron maiden album said how about iron maiden's first album after bruce dickinson's return uh so he nominated brave new world um and uh uh who is it just oh uh right king's x uh who i know you like justin stanton nominated dogman by king's x and oh. his comment was did they really sell most of their records to just fellow musicians <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah some some great comments there if you're on the patreon go to the obviously the nominations are now closed but you can go and read the thread and yeah, there's, there's some, 60 uh, some good stuff comments there. in this thread yeah so yeah. it was very well discussed it was uh so well, yes we have uh, 32 uh possible selections uh once again just for the sake of transparency i am going to uh video the uh selection so i'm pressing play on the video now and i'll post this on the facebook group so there is in alphabetical order by band there is the 32 uh uh you know nominations and then we go over to my uh, browser window and there is random.org good old random.org uh, and as you can see there, we have a selection between 1 and 32, and I am now going to click Generate. Ta-da! 22! And 22, line 22, it's King's X. Oh, all right! It's King's X. Wow. Yeah, their album Dogman. I am not that familiar with King's X at all. Uh, I know you like them. Uh, See, I like them, but was never a huge fan of them because I like Doug Pinnock, and I am a huge fan of KXM, which is the band that he's in now with Ray Luzier and with George Lynch. And so I I know he's a great bass player and he's a great vocalist, but I never was super huge into King's X. Um, So I'm excited to dig into this one. Wow, yeah. So uh, I think this is going to (laughs) be... This is going to be one of those cases where I think this may actually be the first full album of King's X I've ever listened to. (laughs) fantastic uh i think i've heard tracks here and there but i'm pretty sure that this is the only uh you know that i've never heard a full album so this will be the first time i've actually listened to a full album that was justin stanton so thank you justin all right thanks justin awesome um yeah so we will be back at some point 
Hopefully not quite so, uh, you know, <laughs> such a gap as there was between the last uh, track. Uh, yeah, and we will be talking about that. And everybody else, go grab a copy and listen to it for your homework. Fantastic. I cannot wait. Yeah, me either. All right. So take care, everyone, and we'll see you then. See you later. <laughs>